welcome everyone. This is the Mind Sculptors. I am not your host, Callahan. This is actually Charles, the mono white guy. And we have a great show lined up for you all today. But, but before we get into it, I just want to thank you for joining us this week. If you like this episode or any of our other episodes, please make sure to like, subscribe, and tap that comment down. Uh, down. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> let me rephrase that. If you like this episode or any of our other episodes, please make sure to tap that like button and subscribe button and comment down below. If you want access to our Discord server as well as, as some extra content, make sure to head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash themindsculptors or check out the link in the description below. All right, and so... This is a Mono White Guys episode. You guys know me. You guys know my co-host, Michael Levine. Oh, I'm sorry. Dr. Michael Levine. Thank you. Right, thank so. you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And we also have uh, two Mind Sculptors regulars that you guys should also probably know. Uh, it's Comedian and Morgan Spleenface. So that's not your oh, actual last oh. name. <laughs> It'd be a strong last right, name. So, Very uh, strong last name. Dog. <laughs> <laughs> your spleen is your face <laughs> all right so today this episode we are going to be talking about mental preparation um for a tournament i think that i mean this isn't anything in particular to just mono white this is just something that i think for guys who play in mono white like michael and myself uh we we've already acknowledged that white is a pretty tough color to to play as is because you're doing things different than what you know, normal magic tends to be based off of. And uh, it's even harder when you're just playing mono white. So a lot of it, and a lot of people tend to say this, the success of mono white tends to fall more into the player than it does with the cards or the deck itself. Mm -hmm. And so we thought that this would be a great episode to actually talk about how do the players get into the mindset? How do they, you know, level up their own mental game. And so this episode is about us and about talking about mental pre preparation. And we have both uh, Ian and, and Morgan here to both competitive EDH, you know, veterans. What, what did you call your, your, your series experienced EDH player? Like looks. Yeah. Experienced. Yeah. EDH, but I, yeah, I call it, you know, uh, competitive EDH tournament grinder, blah, 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 blah whatever. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, someone who plays in tournaments. You do play in tournaments. I have heard that. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, who's this Ian guy? <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so, so that's, um, that, 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 that's what we have for today. And to kick us off, I guess let's just address the first question that I think is the obvious one is, you know, how do you prepare for a tournament event? Uh, and, you know, this is kind of open-ended. Uh, I'll leave it to one of you guys to start, Morgan or Ian, or, or Michael, actually, if you want to take a stab at it. Yeah, I was gonna say Michael might be the most winning mono white CEDH player ever. So oh, I think definitely a good I think, person. I think to part talk of what about, you said is why. Sure. Like I think the most important thing when you know you have an event coming up is committing early to what you think you're gonna play. Um, you know, like it, I for me, <laughs> I I I'm like, oh I'm gonna go to that tournament. All right, I'm gonna play Heliod. Every time I've tried to not do that and I've played like some other random deck, it's been disastrous because it turns out you know, to do well in an EDH tournament, you have to know how to play your deck. And if you're constantly trying new decks mm -hmm. up to the day of the tournament, you just get a little flustered, or at least I do. Um, so for me, it, it's really important to, re yes. to choose what you're going to play. That doesn't mean you have to choose the exact list, but like, 
don't decide you're going to play Heliod the day before the tournament, especially not Heliod because that deck kind of sucks. Um, but like, you can definitely see like a history of my own personal like wins and losses and how much I've been playing certain decks <laughs> before before a tournament. So for what's sure. what's your stance on? public polls <laughs> deciding what deck you're bringing to it all right not almost me you morgan i, 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 I do know it. that you do it and, and, and rebel sometimes like <laughs> pretends to do it i don't know that she always picks the one that's voted when she's done it in the past but um i think that says more about how good you are as a player than that that's a general strategy you should suggest to others yeah for sure for sure i feel like the way that yeah the, to to sort of synthesize the three of you it would be like know yourself know what you know your strengths mm-hmm. and weaknesses are so so yeah. so real quick before you even like commit a deck just have a really good self-assessment like an honest self-assessment of yourself like are you good mm-hmm. at playing like say an evolution style deck are you good at playing like winota like what what is it you, what is your strong suit if you feel like you can do anything you know just do it the spleen face way and go on to twitter and be like vote for my deck <laughs> right but if you feel like yeah. you know your your odds of winning are best reflected when you're playing uh heliod ballista then mm-hmm. then, then then pick that deck and just start practicing with it yeah, at least this play style. So, like, yeah, for sure. Pick a, if you're going to play stacks, yeah. it's fine if you're going to mess around with a few stacks lists, but don't like be like, I'm going to play stacks, and then the night before be like, no, I'm going to play food chain. Because you know what happens? You lose. <laughs> you know how I know that? Because I did it. <laughs> I had never played a food chain deck myself <laughs> until Summer Bloom. And that morning, I was like, screw it. I'm going to play this stupid Nadir Thrasius deck. And I took someone else's food chain list that was the regular... Uh, Saltai food chain with the cat thing. Yeah. And I changed six cards. Yeah. And then I submitted that deck list. And then I mulliganed it three times on tapped out and I started the tournament. And that was awful. Sorry. Did you say Nadir Thrasios? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a. That's. You don't build that deck like you build other food chain decks. Absolutely. Yeah. I was missing like three or four essential cards for sure. And like. Also, sometimes with Tudor not knowing what was in the list, because I didn't even have it as like an open tab somewhere. I was just like, let's do it. Um, that was that was bad. I, oh I won round God. one and I, I threw three wins after that. <laughs> so, but, but like yeah. the thing about stacks, stacks is like I generally know what cards they'll contain, what play patterns they're going to be mm-hmm. hoping for. So I could probably change to another stack yeah. stack last minute if I needed to, but Going to a food chain deck, especially a weird food chain deck, bad decision. And I really would not do that for a serious tournament. Like for me, Summer Bloom was like more of a fun tournament, which is why I was willing to do it. Uh, yeah. And I still, because you submit two lists, I still submit Heliod as my second list. I just, once I won with yeah. Nadir the first round, I was like, I'm doing this. And uh, that was a bad decision. I was not doing it. I was not doing it. So I guess I, I would. I would push back a little bit on uh, Charles' suggestion that you should do a self-assessment before you start thinking about your deck. I think actually what might make sense is to reverse the order on those. Uh, because I think if you do a self-assessment, you it, it's harder for you to get out of your comfort zone. And if you are thinking mm-hmm. that maybe your comfort zone isn't the best choice for, you know, for meta reasons or whatever... Mm-hmm. Um, then you might just sort of find yourself 
kind of locked in like what am i comfortable playing well i'm comfortable playing you know uh effectively win conless mid-range endless value decks it's like well this tournament has a 75 minute time limit <laughs> so uh that might <laughs> pose a problem so right. so maybe what i would suggest is sort of go okay uh i think that you know this maybe not like full turbo Nas, but this like more aggressive grixis based Nas list like a cast or something I think that'll do really well. Okay, am I comfortable playing that? You know, do I think I have the time to get myself comfortable playing that? You know, the the tournament's in in a month, so if I can jam, you know, 20, 30 games of this over the next four weeks, uh, you know, maybe then I'll sort of feel a little bit more comfortable. So I just, I think if you if you assess yourself first and then start looking for things that match your style, you might, limit yourself a little bit because like yes you know you're more comfortable with something but you can learn and particularly if the uh the tournament is decently far out uh you know you should definitely consider whether or not you feel like you have the time and you know the ability to get yourself playing something outside of your comfort zone if that's what seems appropriate yeah, so I knew this was going to be interesting uh, when I jumped on because I feel like as far as preparation goes, I am a very different thinker than I think the average type of CEDH person. And I don't mean that in a good it's, way. It's just uh, built different. <laughs> uh, I'm just, I'm built different. No, but I think it's important because I feel like a lot of the like bright minds in the format fit a certain demographic of individual uh, who tend to be like very analytical minds, like people who like, think about things a lot and like i'm not saying i'm not analytical i overthink about all this stuff but i also come from like uh, a child care theater background i have super bad adhd right like so so me prepping for a tournament is a lot of that like last minute okay i played this list and i was really confident in this list but it hasn't been winning the past four games i played it in let me try mixing it up play some different people okay it's not winning get this list out of here uh or me oh i have a tournament in three days. Oh, crap. <laughs> uh, let me pick a deck that I'm comfortable with. So it's it's interesting because I think prep-wise, it's important to not only cover, like, if you're someone who can, and, and also, like, I, I due to the way my work schedules, I don't have time to play as much as I used to, especially during, like, quarantine and stuff like that. So I think, you know, if you are someone who cares about a tournament grinder perspective, who's someone who cares about competing at the highest level, but also doesn't fit that mold of like, I have people I can play with who I know are good players that I can play with consistently. I have the right amount of prep time. I can like really grind. I think it's interesting to get a perspective of someone who maybe isn't the best at these type of things and like how I adapt to the fact that attention is not my specialty. As an I mean, that is one of the reasons I play yeah. Heliod though, because like, you know, mm-hmm. I have so, right now, I don't have a lot of time to play as, as much as I'd like to. And for me to learn a new deck and really know what's going on, I need to put in quite a bit of work. Heliod is kind of solidified in my brain. Like, I know the things I should yes. be doing. And that deck doesn't change so rapidly. So, like, yeah. it's like learning, you know, <laughs> 10 to 12 new cool things I could do with every two cards, I might add. Yeah. Um, so it's it's reliable. Yeah. Whereas if I I was thinking about switching, for example, for this tournament to a Timna Armix deck. Because, like, I'm really down mm-hmm. with Timna Armix right now. But... Oh. I don't think I can learn it well enough to do well in a tournament. 
in like two months and that's you know where Martreza is so mm-hmm. I was like eh, I'll just stick with Heliod <laughs> I have a better <laughs> chance of being prepared to play Heliod that being said I'm still like looking at that Timna Armix list and being like I want to kill <laughs> yeah. some hate bears with Armix and I want to draw some <laughs> cards with Timna let's go See, yeah. but you're shooting yourself in the foot because the longer you go planning to play Heliod, the harder it is to convince yourself to take the leap. Um, yeah, I think I just need to get blown out by Boseju at the tournament, and then <laughs> I'm just going to throw Heliod in the dumpster. You know. <sighs> I mean, this is this is why you have like giver of runes, right? A single like, card, a, yes, a single, a single. Card. I mean, what was it? Blacksmith skills. Another I know. one. I don't want to play that card, but I do want to play that card. I love that card, <laughs> but it's just like not yeah. a good enough card. But yeah, mm-hmm. if I have to play it, guys, sleeve up. Yeah, just stifle, stifle all day. Stifle <laughs> in a mono white deck. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all right. So, 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 so we we might be getting a little too ahead of ourselves. Boseju is really, really good, <laughs> and you'll hear more about us talking about Boseju in an upcoming episode when we review Kamigawa. But yeah, everybody's yeah. the next tournament prep episode is going to be like, how do you play around Boseju? But not until like, then. Literally, <laughs> we right, quick, literally every card too, is you can't prep too early because if a new set comes out mm. between, like. Something might happen. Oh, Boseju gets printed, worst. and you're like, "Oh, yeah. what now? Do I need to make like fundamental changes to my list and play patterns that I won't have time to prep for because I'm not going to yeah. play anyone who has Boseju in their deck before the tournament starts, or not enough?" Mm-hmm. Like, it is a little. That's a little bit yeah. frustrating. That. That being said, knowing recency bias is a thing can help you in multiple ways, right? So, like, there's recency bias in the way that like people. Like, I am way too worried about this new card coming out is definitely a thing. And there's also recency bias in the fact that, like, people are hard for this card right now. And I know there's going to be way too much of it. So, like, the dichotomy of those two ideas can definitely, like, help you when preparing for a meta. I I think a lot of this conversation is going to be, like, if you can understand the meta, you're going to have a huge advantage to going into a tournament. I'm not trying to jump ahead too much here, but, like, uh, the the best performances I've had so far have been like, I understand what this meta is. I'm going to analyze that and attack it from that perspective. The other stuff is, you know, comfort level, things like that, amount of time you have to prep. Those are all factors, but meta knowledge is definitely a thing. And then we can obviously talk about like techniques as to how to analyze. Yeah, I think the most meta mm-hmm. example of, of meta knowledge uh, has to be the sort of the fall series of tournaments we saw where so uh, there were several yeah. decks, people in Winota who performed well at Tier 1 Con, and then Mr. Bruce took down the Playing With Power mm-hmm. tournament the following weekend. And then there were three tournaments yeah. throughout September. <laughs> and then there was, was Founders, Founders Cup. Founders yeah. Cup and that, uh, but before that, there was the Commander's Vault tournament. And then October Commander's Vault, yeah. Three tournaments in a row with a Winota deck in the finals pod that uh, lost mm-hmm. to a Winconi stacks deck like a creature combo based stacks deck. Uh, it was right. uh, Killstar's yeah. Hermit Pod, um, uh, Archlord mm. on. It was Archlord on uh, Minsk, and then I Minsk. was playing my Blue Pod variant. Um, and like, mm-hmm. I went into that tournament going like, okay, I don't want to just die to Turbo, but also I want a deck that 
will just clap Winota in drawn out games and like mm-hmm. <laughs> the theory kind of paid off. Yeah. Yeah, I remember with the Founders Tournament, uh, I uh, I did the Morgan thing and had people vote for a deck, but I got to choose the options for what they could vote for. And they were three decks that yeah. like I I felt very confident that I could pilot, uh, one of which was Dragonlord Ochutai, uh, which was Whimsy's list. And uh, that got the most votes. I picked up the deck, like I think, two days before the tournament started. And I did a couple of pods that I played with. Uh, Callahan was uh, very helpful in in playing those games, and from each of the matches that I played in in those like trial pods that I played, the, the the feedback that I got was, oh, you know, you don't need this many like board wipes or whatever uh, or something like that. It's not a big deal, and it's like I feel like a lot of people are going to be playing Winota, like. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like and people are like oh no 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 we know founders it's not really a winota thing and it's like i don't <laughs> oh boy was it that <laughs> and i was like i was like it's like i think there was seven winota lists submitted to yes the yes sure. if i hadn't if, if i had in top 16 it would have been eight with uh i, I believe because <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, because yeah, uh, it, it, it was so weird. It was it was really weird. I, I I actually deliberately teched in tragic arrogance because I was also playing. Classic. Yeah, I was, I was playing a stacks deck, and that was like one of the best cards that you could play against a Winota player. Because especially mm-hmm. if you're on a stacks on stacks matchup, because you're like, all right, well, I'm gonna keep my win cons, but you can keep your stacks pieces, and I'm just gonna just let you sit there for the rest of the game while I kill everything else, right? Uh, specifically, it's like, you know, I get rid of all your mana rocks. You can keep the Ether Sworn Candace as both your creature and your artifact. And and you can mm-hmm. keep Rule of Law as your enchantment and just sacrifice everything else. Right? Yeah. And, and yeah. But. Making me want to play it, that card now. I just remember. I know Tragic I should, arrogance? but you're making me want to. <laughs> it, 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 so, so it's not a card that I advise people to run unless if you are like a Voltron you know, control E stacks build yeah. and, and not a lot of stacks yeah. decks tend to do Voltron as a thing. It's mostly good white, but we're not here to talk about the, yeah. the, the different kinds of stacks decks that you can be. The nuance yeah, yeah. Of stacks. I feel like on the motto white guys episodes, we have to assume that we're going to slip into the nuances. Oh, yeah. once an episode. So, so <laughs> I, I do want to really in back a bit and talk about, uh, so you, you kind of mentioned about like things like ADHD. And I think like that, that that's a really good thing to, to actually point out is that, uh, people do have uh, different mental spectrums of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for some people, uh, it, like, I remember at the MLC tournament, uh, Rebel, like, took a whole week to prepare for her uh, semifinal matchup with uh, me, Pongo, and Shanti. I literally flew out to LA, did zero preparation, just rolled out the deck, uh, just rolled out the bed and just played Heliopolista, right? Uh, Cause I was like, you know, I, I've talked to Michael like hours about this deck. I piloted this deck, like probably I've only piloted this deck less than 10 times, by the way, but like yeah. it, it's a mono white deck and I've played like so many of them that I'm like, yeah. And I've heard Michael talk about this so many times that it's just like mentally imprinted on me. And that's something that like, I felt like I was very confident that I could do, but at this mm-hmm. and, and, you know, you guys should also see Rebel's video where she talked about the preparation that she did up until that finals. And and I commented on the videos like I didn't do this preparation, but, you know, 
this is something that I feel like anyone who follows in her footsteps and doing that can get like the same results that I felt like I could have gotten. And that's the difference between someone who I'm not trying to toot my own horn. It's just like when you talk about someone who you believe is talented or skilled and you feel like you cannot be that person, like that's a, that's a barrier that I feel like you're imposing on yourself when you realize that there are steps that you can take to get to that level of competency. Yes. You might have to take extra steps to do it, but that, but, but that doesn't mean that you can't do it. It's just more of whether or not you want to do those kinds of things. Um, I think the thing with CEDH that I think blows my mind with people is that people see it. Okay. So like with modern or a a 60 card format, right? The meta evolution is such a huge part of what's happening at all times. Right. But with CEDH, it is constantly this ball of variance, right? Because you once again are playing, it is, is an identity based format, right? You come in a lot of the people who play in these tournaments, despite, you know, even people coming in with a grinder mentality, right? Like like myself or Spleenface or, or even you, Michael. Like, we are tournament players. However, we are known for certain decks. We have certain decks that are, like, mm-hmm. corner pieces of our identity, right? And it's not just a, I am playing a list. And, I mean, th- that does show up in other places in Magic, too. But you have to understand, like, 100-card variance of a deck times four. There's a lot of variables in all of these. And I think... You can prep for a tournament as much as you want as an individual tournament, but the thing that's best going to prepare you for actually like playing CEDH on a tournament level is understanding yep. CEDH. The like knowing an interest in the format is 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 such an easy way to like get better at the format, right? So like for example, when I first started out, I got really excited, jumped on the database, and I clicked on every freaking tapped out link that existed on that stupid database <laughs> back when it was a Google Doc, right? Oh, wow. I was like, oh, just clicking. I was like, oh, that's a cool deck. Oh, that's a cool deck. Fringe category? Hell yeah, that's a weird deck. All right, I don't really get how that works. Read the primer. Okay, cool. Jump off. Next deck. And I'm not saying you have to study it like an encyclopedia, but like if you're generally interested in what the hell's happening, you're going to learn a lot about the format. The amount of times I've seen people lose to decks because they're like, I don't get what the win con is. And I was like, yeah. just, just in, in a attention. lot of tournaments, <laughs> I feel compelled like, to explain to other players in my pod what the win con of our opponents is. Mm-hmm. And I feel like yep. everyone, when they prep yep. for a tournament, should just like at least look at the decks in the database. Or I don't even, yeah. I, I don't know. Like if you're just reading a lot of material like you are active on a discord or on magic twitter or something mm-hmm. you see a lot of decks i'm always surprised when i have opponents at a tournament who just like don't know how certain decks function and you really yeah. it can be a disaster so i think everyone should just get an idea of what decks especially exist, yeah like i've i've encountered some interesting like uh some interesting ones like there are decks that are legitimately like kind of counterintuitive or difficult to interact with. I think Crux Sekishima is probably the poster child of this, where like it's very easy to interact wrong. But like I've also seen people die to Yo, things yeah. like like I think Inala was the biggest one for this where like the line was published and it's like if you're really formal about it, it's like sixty steps, right? Like cause because you have to let, you know, yeah. like you let triggers resolve and then, you know, cast other things and let them resolve. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you don't let things resolve and blah blah blah. Um, and like I've seen people die to Anala with interaction 
just like I guess not realizing that like you can literally interact with that combo anywhere until it's too Anytime. late. You can wait Anytime. too long and then you die. Until but, it's too- but like on the first so six, it's like uh, not quite six, but on the first like four or five spells. Yeah. If you counter any of them, the line stops. So, and I, yeah. So someone literally brought this up to me the other day because the PWP video came out of Vegas where we oh, lost. I watched it like this morning or someone, yesterday. It was amazing. Yeah. And someone was like, okay, if I have a misstep, like, what one do of I the hit? Spells and I literally my response one. to them was the first thing. The first thing mm-hmm. <laughs> people like, I feel like a lot of the time with these like lines where you're like, Oh, this is a combo piece. He's about to pop off. People are like, all right, I'm really going to wait till like whack back in the days when people let ad nauseums resolve. Cause they thought they had enough counter magic. Oh, no, to stop my God. Going uh, for the win. Like, Oh, that's that cringy level of like, just, just yeah, counter the spell. I remember like, getting in an argument with river during um, the mean 16. Cause his was playing Kodama Shakashima yeah. and like his pad interaction and I was like, no, like, you need to get rid of the Kodama before the Sakashima resolves. Like, don't let any of this happen. That was yeah, our oh, game. Yes, yes, yes. I was like, you can't let any of this happen. Yeah. And he just, like, waited. <laughs> and then when he finally did it, it was it was useless. It was way, way too, late. too late. We just it lost. And he was late. like, yeah. I thought I had another time to do it. And I was like, why? Why would you do this? It, <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know you, River, but, yeah, it... it this I, I I don't necessarily think of you any less based off of what Michael has said. Um, I will say that like uh, yeah, this this happens a lot where especially even in a tournament you see a player who just is learning something new for the first time, mm-hmm. and that is like mm-hmm. probably the worst feeling to have. I like in my experience of playing like several EDH games, like learning in a, in the middle of a game is fine. Learning in a tournament just kind of sucks. It's like it's yeah, it's. Worst. It it's it it, it's like everyone starts off as a rookie somewhere like we we all begin as a beginner uh nobody is a beginner at the major leagues <laughs> is is the yeah. thing and so that's the time when you really do not want yeah. to like be learning something new uh it is perhaps like the the hardest thing as as someone who plays tournaments a lot for me to gauge because i there are people in this community who will twist words very aggressively uh i don't want to say oh, there are people lie, but like I've, I've been in yeah. games that. <laughs> yep. yeah and unless you have someone who's like really experienced in the pod to be like hey that's fucked up stop that this is a new player uh then it it just kind of happens and it's like it's one of those things it's like what it, it, and it stinks when you're in like a top 16 pod or like a, a winning in Yep. part of a tournament right where you're there is nothing you can do in a situation where you're like okay that this person's being lied to I, I i can interject here but it may cost us the game and it's it's there's a lot of nuance there and it's a lot of like i personally i don't lie in games mm-hmm. i don't i refuse to my style is i i will i'm a very passionate person so I, I will be very vocal during a game i'm very analytical during a game but if i i will not lie and it's helped me a lot, but there are people who twist yeah. words. So it's it's hard for new players when you 
you want to give people the benefit of the doubt. I just find it that it's good on your conscience not to do that, especially when it's so high stakes and like, there's a lot of emotions involved. I mean, like there's already articles documenting about this, even in like one V one situations where people have done really scummy things, like just rules lawyer their way to a game win uh, in one V one magic. They they call them Jedi mind tricks. Uh, For those of you who are like, who who are getting into magic through CDH, but have never played like one V one competitive. There's, like a long-standing history of things that even pro players have done or players that have been documented in, in star city games articles of things that have been done that just been total feels bad just because of a rules technicality that someone who knew the rules better than you and tried to win the game not by playing the game but by getting you to do something that was an illegal game action that you didn't realize so yep. Yep. taking this all in and talking about this, one of the things that uh, the 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 you the audience could take away from what Ian had just said, because I don't necessarily just say don't go to tournaments because they're not fun. It's just more like no. you can play a lot of CDH games, right? And you can have a lot of fun of CDH games. Tournaments might be a different experience, and you just before you go into it, just prepare yourself for the fact that you yeah. know people might not be the most hospitable and. Uh, and this goes back to like the thing about, you know, understanding yourself and sort of, you know, uh, this, this goes into a little bit more beyond just gaming, but understanding, uh, what did my girlfriend call this This is, uh, uh, your coping mechanisms, right? So, because Mm -hmm. people might say, uh, rude things, people might get very impassioned or you might feel anxiety from it. If you're the kind of person who feels anxiety from high pressure situations, you know, figure out work out an idea for yourself on, on how to cope with those things before you walk into that tournament setting and to just steal yourself for that. And, 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 yeah. you know, maybe even when you're practicing, because I know that a lot of people practice uh, before a tournament, but they might, but they practice with their friends and their friends are playing very loose, takesy backsies or whatever. Right? right. And, and that might be fine. And when you're learning how to pilot a deck, but then the, you're like, okay, can we play a game where, we're, we're, yeah. we're really narc yeah. to each other. Yeah. yeah. And so those are things that you could do to like mentally prepare yourself and, and think about like how, since EDH is partially a social game and in the competitive setting, yeah. there are competitive social uh, tactics that people will, will use, right? One is the open, honest approach of, I tell you, you know, the truth, but I'm not telling you all the truth versus just blatant lying. And sort of how do you, you know, level your threat assessment to parse that information together, like practicing your analytical skills for that kind of thing. And so yeah. you can do some social engineering practices in the pods you're playing with of like, okay, you know, uh, this is just popped into my mind. You can get like, you know, cards face down someone to like, um, uh, which assassin or, 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 uh, or gunslinger, what you call, but like someone has a card that says, you know, your role in this game is that you're the compulsive liar or, and the, and your role in this game is that you're the person who tells the truth all the time, but you don't, you know, withhold yeah. everything. And then your role in this game is that, that would be a fun game yeah, to play. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. That sounds awesome. That you're just a noob. You don't know how things work and you make terrible threat yeah. assessment that, and, and yep. have your friends, you know, play with these roles, but keep them hidden so that you, the player don't yep. know who's the compulsive liar and who's the honest truth sayer. Right. And the person who's making questionable game decisions needs to be making game decisions that 
look questionable, but might be like, you know, ingenious or whatever. Right. And so you don't even know if that person's making questionable moves or not. And you, the player, have to navigate to winning the game through those like situations with your friends in that type of way. Right. And so that's one way that you can do in terms of mental preparation that doesn't necessarily involve deck teching or anything like that. That's just part of the tournament process. I I think it's really important to Mm -hmm. learn how to explain to people what's going on in a way that people will be receptive to and not get offended by. I remember at the DDM tournament, my first round, I was very aware that the Timna Thrasios flash deck in the pod was threat. I can't even remember who else was in the pod now. But I just remember thinking, like, in this pod, this deck is so, so overwhelmingly favored to win. And I said something in the first turn, because they also had a pretty good opening turn. I was like, this deck is going to win very fast if we don't do something about it. But the way I did it was, I think, a little abrasive. So, one, that player got very offended. Like, why are you going after me? I just met you. How do you know I'm even, like, good? (laughs) And then the other players were like, yeah. Yeah, playing Flash Hole, come on. And the other players were, like, a little bit worried that I was trying to distract them. And it's like, I was playing Heliod in the first tournament Heliod had ever been in when people were, like, still unsure how the deck worked. Yeah, and and I thought about it, and, like, there is ways to do this better where you can be, like, this is why I think this person has the advantage that no one yeah. assumes you're lying. That no one feels like you're just targeting mm-hmm. them to target them. I mean, there is the yeah. problem where players will just say, you're just saying that to target me. I'm, I'm not going to win. Mm-hmm. And they're lying. And I, if I remember correctly, this player had literally flash and a tutor in their hand. Like they were set up yeah. to win. But, you know, if you do it the wrong way and then they get defend themselves aggressively people will get confused about what's going on. So you really need yeah. to think about how you explain why a certain deck needs to be the focus of your attention. Otherwise, uh, it's it can backfire really badly. Yeah. So uh, two, two things. One, uh, I think a really good practice for new players is like pointing out objective reality, right? So this <laughs> goes back to like the being studied a bit part of it, right? So for example, like in that scenario... Uh, if you if you get worried, and I know a lot of people do get worried about like how am I presenting myself? How do I come off when I'm describing these things? Like I I know for a fact as a person, like I try really hard. I can be a little condescending at times, and I don't mean to. It's just the way my voice pattern. Yeah, yeah, you're a jerk. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a big old asshole. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> but I so like sometimes there are literally things that you can do if you really want to like minimize the the worry here and this is like especially people like once again prepping for a tournament how do i speak to people i've never met before but simple things like as i said stating objective reality so for example if i'm playing against michael and there he has a land on the battlefield that can tutor for ballista and he has heliad on the battlefield i could be like hey if he untaps next turn he has the potential to tutor for his win condition Mm -hmm. right that's making the table aware of the possibility it's not saying stop attacking me, attack this person. Or for example, if you're, if you're playing my Dawnwaker Thrasios deck, which is a Sans Black deck and there's an Adnaz deck at the table, someone attacks you, you go, all right, I'm going to take the damage, but they're an Adnaz deck and their life total is more of a resource than mine. I don't know if Gen- you should have attacked me there. Generally, yeah, but, I think a big you know I mean? thing on the attacks, for whatever reason I've switched to doing this, is rather than trying to convince people, like when someone says I'm attacking you, it's, it's always hairy to say, like, oh, you should attack 
someone else. It's like, well, I already said I'm attacking you. What yes. do I do? So yeah, you just like, okay, I'm taking this damage. Yeah. And then you point out like they're playing ad nauseum or it, sometimes it's like they yeah. have a Sylvan library in play. Like, like even things that, that mm-hmm. seem sort of obvious I, yes. or like might seem obvious to you. Um, sometimes people just don't really yeah. think about them. Uh, or they sort of mm-hmm. kind of made their decision yeah. before the Sylvan library was cast. And then I think right, when, you, right. you, when you do take the damage on the first attack, it looks a little bit less like, oh, I just don't want to get hit and more like I'm actually trying to inform you and, and sort of yeah. point out something that is that is threatening. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely have also pivoted to that where like, look, I'm not trying to change your mind right now. However, I think going forward, maybe we can in, in general, providing information <laughs> up front like that can be very helpful. I, I have a, a game where I guess the gameplay video will come out soon, but you know, someone assumed that I cast uh chalice on two to stop them from casting their Oswald. I was casting it on two mm-hmm. so that there would not be a psychonic rift in our future. Um, <laughs> and you yeah. know, the argument became focused on why are you trying to stop Oswald so badly when really like three turns later, there was a psychotic rift and I was like, this is yeah. why I wanted the chalice on the board. And, you know, there's yeah, even it's like, you know, once it's on the stack, I think people get weird. Like you're trying to defend it. You could say I am, a, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to cast a chalice on two because I think so-and-so will try to rift in a couple of terms just so we all understand yeah. why I'm doing what I'm doing, you know, and you could yeah. obviously still be lying, but you know, when you cast it and then someone's like, Oh, you're coming after my commander. Now you're on your back foot and they like are never going to believe you. Like it yeah. just, it's almost yeah. impossible yeah. to get them to believe you once you've already done it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to piggyback on that situation. So if my opponent says, I'm going to play this chalice and I'm the Oswald player and they're like, I'm going to play this chalice. I'm going to put it on two because I think, you know, we might get psych rift and that's not good. Uh, for for any of us, myself as the Oswald player, I would need to evaluate like, okay, if this person's being truthful, right? How can I assess that truth? I can look at the board state myself and be like, do I see a psych rift happening, right? Is this per- is this like a, a reasonable thing that this person is presenting to me? And then the second thing is that if the psych rift does happen, or if someone does have the psych rift in like say incoming three turns, right? Is this something that I would care about? Can I work this to my advantage if we do get Psychrift? Or is this catastrophic for me as this person is suggesting, mm-hmm. right? And that th- that's how you can evaluate truth or lies in that type of way, where you don't necessarily even need to care if the person is being truthful or lying. You just take the fact or the suggestion that the person has, or the information that the person is bringing to you, and then you perform your own like assessment of that information of, if this is true, what does this mean if this is if and 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 do i care about it if it's false right then well like i don't really need to care about it all anyway right and so mm-hmm. it it can streamline your thinking and and a lot yeah. easier rather than you trying to be like oh my god i don't know if michael's telling me the truth or not he's gaslighting me right <laughs> yeah he always, oh, always. <laughs> right. i uh well before we like get too far off uh point you made a while ago charles about like the actual like physical tournament prep um that i want to talk about and that i just didn't want this point to escape me um so part of my like thing before tournaments is i as someone who has adhd and anxiety um 
I, for those who don't know, you, your body actually has a natural fight or flight response. Uh, so if you feel that like butterfly in your stomach, like I'm going to be sick thing before something you're nervous about, uh, it's literally your body going, ah, we have to fight to the death. I have to evacuate my bowels before I do that. This is a natural response your body does, which is hilarious. And I always, it's my favorite like science fun fact. Um, and so I, as someone who already has like an anxious stomach and stuff like that, before every tournament, I feel like I'm going to die. Like straight up, I, I love competing. I also feel like I'm going to die every time I do Ian, it. <laughs> you, um, this is a really weird <laughs> fetish to be admitting on. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we may not be admitting fetishes part of the show. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, Charles. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> So it's it's one of those things. So if like if I know there's a lot of people who have like come to me and I talked to Rebel about this and people at PWP um, about like I want to go to tournaments, but I'm way too anxious to do that or like stuff like that or like I'm I'm worried people are gonna be mean to me during pods and stuff like That's that. That's mostly my fault. Um, sorry. Knowing your <laughs> uh, knowing knowing yourself as a as a person really helps with those things. So for example, like my nervous stomach i know okay as soon as the match starts i'm fine or i know okay like i maybe i need to go to the store before i go and compete in this tournament and buy some like pepto-bismol or whatever mm -hmm. to make sure that i don't actually feel like i'm gonna die between every round <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly um and it's it's important to to recognize these things in yourself if you're like hey i have the uh strict seriousness of a serial killer my name is morgan i don't nothing affects me uh you don't have to worry about those things but if you're <laughs> if you're someone like me whose brain and body is flying in different directions you know what i mean it's important to recognize the fact that you you know you you have to find ways to mitigate them and, you, and you should plan it ahead of time because like for me i also get very anxious once things start um and yeah. I know that, like, especially when it's an online tournament, I need to start having a beer after, like, round two. Because, like, <laughs> the snowballing, like, heart, like, just heart racing, I can't do it. At DDM, every time I won a match, I drink a beer because I would be going nuts internally once I, <laughs> it's like you flip over the Triskelion and I almost have a heart attack. So I just need yeah. to have a beer mm -hmm. to come down afterwards. Um, yeah. And, like, I, I know we went to Vegas together and since I played in the modern event, like I was very dedicated yeah. to the idea of like, I'm going to wake up early. I'm going to go for a run. Mm -hmm. I'm going to eat actual food and, you know, make sure I'm yeah. there early. Cause I know that that's what I need to start a tournament. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I didn't do that day two. And that's sure. why I obviously got crushed by Belcher. You know, I did not, <laughs> did not, you know, have a good day of prep, but yeah. um, it's really important to know, that and to mm -hmm. to figure out what you're going to do about it i think the first tournament you've ever played in you you don't know so you just like have to see what happens which is kind of what's nice about online tournaments because it's a little catastrophic yeah. to like travel far away and then realize you're going to have a heart attack before the tournament starts <laughs> oh um, God. also going into your first tournament assume it's going to be a total oh, yeah. disaster mm. right like go in and be like i'm gonna scrub out you know how many times like the people at this you're in this recording have gone into a tournament and scrubbed out when trying their hardest it's okay to go into a yep. tournament and scrub out right like it is a genuinely a thing people I do. For it uh, so going into being I like oh four i didn't even have a chance yeah. in any of my pods 
whatever. I I'm going to show there my. There's a tournament. I thought I read the meta in. I brought a deck that was a brew, and I I like O three dropped that tournament. I was like, oh, this deck is garbage. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. I'm going to show my age. The first tournament that I ever went to was one called the Junior Super Series. Oh, JSSs which, were amazing. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, 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 and that, this is really showing my age. Standard back then was Mirrodin Kamigawa, right? We are just coming back oh, to my, Kamigawa. My so you can story tell, is way older yeah. than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You've been playing longer than me, Michael, yeah. for sure. But like, you can tell now, just because we're going back to Kamigawa, how many years I've been playing Magic now. And Michael's actually been playing longer, too. Yeah, yeah, so I remember I, I did so terrible at that tournament, by the way, like because <laughs> it was Kiki Jiki Tooth and Nail, and I thought Platinum Angel was like the coolest card ever. And I just got crushed by freaking Affinity, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, my, yeah, my first like real tournament was the Junior Junior Super Series tournament when I was a kid, and it was in um, it was I played Quarian Dryad like it was Odyssey Plane Shift like that format. Oh and I remember just like, I just wanted to play a green blue deck when my Korean dry got really big. I was playing like Tolarian <laughs> winds and stuff, trying to like, re- I had that stupid four mana one, one that became like an eight, eight when you had threshold, like all the dumb stuff, nimble mongoose, which is an amazing <laughs> card. If we're being honest, you know, the pride of Canada, yeah. um, is my understanding <laughs> of that card. Um, is that true, Morgan? There's a whole deck I, with Canada in its name that is based on that card. Uh, what was a legacy and a vintage yeah. deck and now a Canadian Highlander deck um, might even be called literally mm-hmm. like Canadian Mongoose or something like that. But yeah, I, I, like, I went to a tournament having never really that. done a real tournament. Like I had done the little events at my LGS and I remember going there and just feeling so overwhelmed because everyone was like, seemed so prepped. And I think that's another thing that maybe it's different between CDH and, and 60 card formats. Like, it's intimidating to come to a tournament and see people in their store out like uniforms. Like they have like mm-hmm. jerseys on mm-hmm. and they've all clearly oh, God, been like playtesting <laughs> for weeks. That's super intimidating. Yeah. Especially when I was a kid, mm-hmm. I was just like, I just put this deck together because it was cool. And you guys like really mm-hmm. went hardcore and at the CDH tournaments. Like I remember yeah. showing up to GDM by myself. I rented a car, drove down to where they call it Philly, but it's not Philly. It's kind of the middle of nowhere outside of Philly. But I remembered like everyone seemed to know yeah. each other and people were clearly like I saw people with their like T-shirts for their YouTube stuff. And I was like, huh, I'm just like this random dude who showed up with yeah, the Heliod deck. <laughs> All right, let's see. And like yeah. that kind of anxiety went away pretty rapidly when I was just like winning and people were coming over yeah. to ask me about Heliod. I was like, All right, this isn't like ridiculous, but yeah. it is intimidating for the fir- for the first time. And, you yeah. know. When everyone's shit talking in the channel on Discord, and you don't know who any of these people are, and it's all inside <laughs> jokes, and you're like, "What's going on?" Savagely yeah. rude, and you're like, "Can I, I <laughs> be involved in this?" I had a similar experience, not with Magic, but with a with a tabletop game called Ascension, similar to like yours, Michael. Where I was the guy who showed up, and everybody seemed to like know each other, and this is uh, for this tabletop game this deck builder game called Ascension and it was uh, the world championships at uh, Gen Con. And and I did a similar stint where like I top aided and people were just like, who the fuck is this guy? Right. And, <laughs> and, and they, and everyone started talking about splitting the prize money. And it was really clear that like, I was the one guy who was like singled out from this discussion because everybody <laughs> knew each other. And I was just like, so 
I've, and I, I want to get in on this. The first <laughs> first tournament I ever did well at in CEDH, uh, I was playing Moldroth the mid range, and the finals pod was uh, three mods of the competitive <laughs> EDH like Discord and subreddit, and then me who had like Woof. barely interacted with any of them ever. It was. So it was sick robot. Mm-hmm. This is before we knew each other. Before like that actually tournament is what got the podcast started. Uh and then uh Sug wow. and Astral. If if anyone listening has been around long enough to know who, who those are. Um uh <laughs> and like yeah, it was like they were all I guess chatting somewhere that I like didn't know and I was like, boy, am I the odd <laughs> the odd man out here <laughs> yeah so so uh we're, we're gonna move over to to the next section this this conversation here we we might have more of it in maybe like another episode where we talk about like deck choices and sort of choosing your deck and sort of because you know this is this is a pretty cool moment where we talk about uh where we just talked about how awful our decks were when we chose them or i mean i i i don't mean to shit on mid-range modules i have no idea if it's actually good it's, it's just more of i mean <laughs> think about the name mid-range and Maldrotha. it's fine <laughs> tier one yeah, i don't know what you guys are talking yeah, about this is yeah <laughs> <laughs> better than <laughs> yeah so Oh, oh my god. <laughs> Alright, so uh, I'm cracking a joke and popping out. My name's Callahan. <laughs> yes. We we all have Callahan on our minds right now, uh audience members. He's Let's actually yes. mind sculpting right now. He's mind sculpting all four of us. But yeah, let's let's uh, we'll, we'll probably do an episode where we talk about picking the deck that's right for you, yada yada, and, and yeah. go more about sort of what Morgan had talked about earlier about like researching the meta, you know, understanding mm-hmm. the actual tournament rules because it, it would really suck if you chose like a Lavinia like knowledge pool style deck that for seventy five yeah for a seventy five minute, yeah. minute pod and you're just <laughs> like oh man I I I really brought a I really brought a sword to a gunfight or if you bring uh, Gitrog to DDM mm-hmm. and then they announce he can't do the end step sculpt you throw a fit <laughs> yeah yeah or, or that you or that you add or that uh or that a non deterministic loop uh cannot just be looped infinitely or for whatever inane ruling that they make about it. Uh, yeah, like we can do like a whole other episode about like actually studying tournament rules because there are various mm-hmm. different CDH tournament rules and knowing that you can use it to your advantage. But let's move on now to the next conversation uh, about mental preparation because this isn't just mentally prepping before you go to a tournament. This is also what you do in the middle of a tournament mental, mental wise, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. Believe it or not, there's a lot of stuff that actually goes down at a tournament that could disrupt your actual game flow and game plan. So, uh, taking it away, uh, I'll have Morgan start. Sure. So, what do you do in the middle of a tournament while you're just mentally getting yourself still like in the mo- in the zone? In Mostly a way? just take shots at Ian, but. Um... <laughs> Fucking <laughs> <laughs> true. We gotta shit talk each other all the time on the Discord chats. That's what that, I mean, going on. Um, but no, so so yeah, I think 100%. the biggest thing um, that's a lesson that I think CDH players possibly more than one v one Magic players need to learn for a couple reasons is 
to use the resources that are available to you. Um, often that'll be judges. Um, and I think that there's people are very reluctant, too reluctant to call a judge in CDH. I find um, yes, a lot of it very much so. Like, there's a lot of judge calls that aren't strictly necessary, but you know, things just get a little hazy and then it's like, oh, can I, you know, do X, Y, and Z? There are a bunch of, a bunch of the things that people like try and shark you on, you know, like when you say a game with no takesy-backsies, like there are takesy-backsies that are legal in tournament. If you play a forest and then go, actually, wait, no, I'm going to play this island instead. Like your opponent can't call a judge and say, I played the forest, you can't yeah. take the... Like, if nothing happened, you're literally just allowed to mm-hmm. take that back, mm-hmm. and I think people get a little overzealous on calling things like that out. So just, if you're ever mm-hmm. uncertain, call a judge, make sure. And then, when we were talking mm-hmm. earlier about, you know, combos and what's threatening and what's what, like, something that just isn't true in 1v1 Magic is that your opponents are also resources. Now, you shouldn't necessarily... Uh, trust mm. them, you know, trust them like implicitly or just Explicit assume whatever them, yeah. they say is true. But like, for example, let's say, you know, two of your opponents have something that looks decently scary. You know, one of them has, I don't know, a Yisan and the other one has uh, a Fiend Artisan. I don't know, I'm just picking like things that represent decent potential. Is this what scares you, Spleenface? <laughs> you sound yes, and artist and scary. Not being able to counter people putting things into play? Yes, it scares <laughs> <Yeah>. me. <laughs> um, like, I can't um, counter it. I hate it. Uh, you know, Fiend Artisan is actually, Reed's the one who's absolutely terrified. He, if I ever play Fiend Artisan against him, it's just a non-stop siren. Of, There's a Fiend Artisan, we have to do something. Oh, God. Um, but anyways... <laughs> Uh, I, I digress a little. You bit. get nightmares of fiend artisan. Um, so, like, both of those things represent threats in the future that might be hard to deal. With, I think is a fair thing of saying, regardless of whether or not you're scared. Mm-hmm. Per, you know, player A has Zeusan, player B has fiend artisan. You can ask player C, like, hey, which one of these, you know, do you think is the more immediate issue? You don't even necessarily have to have. You don't have to be looking at a decay in your hand to ask that question. Right. Um, you can ask them like, hey, what's, you know, between these two things or, uh, you know, on this board, you know, understanding that they're probably going to undersell themselves as a threat. You can still get them to make comparisons uh, between people who between aren't people who are you and aren't them where they're yeah not necessarily objective because, you know, something like a rule of law might be more threatening for one deck than another, but at least not. Uh, not sort of first order biased in like, I don't want you to kill my stuff, which is obviously uh, something. And, and, you know, asking how combos work, like, Hey, where's the best time to interact with this? Or um, it reduces your stress so much. I think people don't realize that when you're talking to the other players in the game and you're not just in your head getting like freaking out about the fiend artisan, you will be a lot more <laughs> rational and and calm. You know, sitting and, yeah. and overthinking with no feedback is a disaster in every scenario. And mm-hmm. in four player, you get that magical ability to literally say things out loud and it's not just bad. In 1v1, 
talking to your opponent is almost always a bad thing. <laughs> but in a yeah. four-player game, that's that's not the <laughs> case, and it can really help you deal with the mental stress of like seeing that kind of impending doom and being like, "What am I going to do about it?" Especially if you have nothing to, that you can do about it, like let someone else tell you that they can. <laughs> that is very insightful about like this comparison between one v one and four player competitive. That I think that some people who just dismiss about you know the the idea that CDH of like well why do people play it why not just play Legacy or Vintage or whatever they just kind of yeah they, they they just miss out on this <laughs> like like really granular aspect about cdh is that you can actually talk to your opponents yeah. <laughs> right and, and have yeah. a productive conversation when talking to your opponents and uh and and it's a great way because like in 1v1 the threat assessment is just all you buddy right like if you screw up yeah. that, that that's all on you whereas you can actually leverage kind of like what morgan's saying on your opponent like you don't have to suffer this cognitive overload by yourself you can do like yeah. a mental health check uh but and also an information swap with your opponent of like hey uh i think this card is problematic what do you think how do you feel about it right and they can give you information or they can withhold information either way their action is their 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 choice in action of what they choose to tell you or what they choose to withhold from you or what they decline to comment about gives you information still yeah. and you can work with all that right and just start putting the puzzle pieces together it makes something that seems so daunting and what could potentially be a 3v1 seem less so like uh overwhelming that's that you don't want it to feel like a three first one especially when it's not yeah. and it's really easy to convince yourself that it's now three versus one and that's very stressful um mm -hmm. just talking to your opponents yeah. will make it clear that it's not three versus yes. one it makes you feel much better about it yeah that and another thing so like once again uh as I don't think magic players are the best at social skills. Mm -hmm. this is <laughs> and that's that's it's a it's a generalism, but like it's it feels pretty appropriate. Uh, I mean, they had like a whole training program something. for judges on how to socially engage people, right? <laughs> I, um, but one thing that I think is kind of interesting is like, but Callahan in my uh, mind is nodding their head furiously. Like. The amount of good energy I've had in a pod, because I I don't want a, a quiet competitive pod. I don't like it's it's the pits. It's I like when people are laughing, having mm -hmm. fun, and it's not because I want to ease my opponents into a state of weakened <laughs> mindset. It's because I want to. We're playing a game, and I want to have fun. Yeah. Uh, but the the amount of times just like starting the pod off being like, all right, hey guys, what's up? Like, how's everyone's day going? You're, and if that's too much, literally be like, at the start of the game, all right, everyone got their mulligan? Good luck, everybody. Little things like that. Like, the amount of times I've seen that diffuse the tension in a room, because sometimes you're playing, for even like, like think about an event like Oktoberfest, or Oktoberfest, or, or Marquesa online, where you've never met these people before, they are just a picture on a screensaver, and you hear their voice, and sometimes they're from a different country. Like, the, the amount of lack of knowledge of people if you are not like super deep in the community mm -hmm. or if they aren't super deep in the community these could be total strangers and the idea of being like just a little bit i know this says it's like so silly you're like kindergarten rules but like if you're a little nicer to everybody you're probably yeah. gonna have a better time it, and it's <laughs> it's, a, it's a huge thing yeah. i like that everyone kind of shoots the shit beforehand 
in 1v1 some people will do it and some people really won't like at vegas i had an opponent Mm -hmm. who didn't really want to talk before the round started and i remember they they had like a fetch in play i passed the turn to them they didn't crack their fetch they drew and they're like oh i should have fetched and i was like oh did you draw the triome you wanted to fetch for and they're like i don't want to talk about it we'll talk about it later and then they played the tap triome and i was like clearly it like put them on tilt and I just realized, like, for this opponent, I couldn't just, like, casually talk during this match. Yeah, like, yeah. it's a big tournament. It's a 1,400-person modern tournament, you know, where we're getting towards people being eliminated from making day two. But, like, yeah, that felt bad to me. I hated not being able to just, like, make minor comments. You know, I like to tell yeah. my opponents when, like, like I feel like I'm going to be crushed. I will be like, yep this is a bad match for me. This will be fun. And when I'm like, all right, I got two draws to not die. Like I will say that out loud, but some people Mm -hmm. don't want Mm -hmm. to talk at all. They want to be silent. They're going to just like state their game actions and that's it. Um, And that will happen in CDH tournaments. You kind of have to figure out when people are like that. It's not super common, but certainly there are certain people who like don't want you to talk and hate when people talk. (laughs) Yeah. It's just tough, especially if you're yeah, a great I think, yeah. I think yeah. <laughs> do not. Oh, go I ahead, think Morgan. we're like, you know, we're we're sort of approaching this a little bit from the perspective of like trying to put ourselves in the shoes of a new player who's probably likely to talk not enough as opposed to talk too much. But yep. they're, they're definitely it can mm-hmm. go the other way. Um, so I'm, you know, we're not sort of encouraging yeah. you to be just nonstop talking. Um, because like, like <laughs> yes. you can definitely yeah. annoy people. Um, so, so there is a bit of a balance, <laughs> but I, I guess I would say like, you should definitely at least make some overtures of, you know, being friendly, being forthright, being whatever. And then, yeah, you know, try and try and judge a little bit. Um, and also, I mean, I think mm-hmm. it's important to acknowledge a little bit, uh, all of this advice, I guess, or at least my advice, uh, I will say take with a grain of salt because I I think I would be disingenuous if I didn't acknowledge that my experience interacting with people in pods is not necessarily representative of the majority of, of people uh, in ways both good and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, just be mindful of any yeah. implicit assumptions about how people will or won't respond. Um, yeah. And it's going to matter based on what deck you're playing. Like the table talk is different when you're the stacks player. That's making everyone not super happy with the way the game's going versus when you're like not mm-hmm. interacting with anyone and you're just like waiting and biding your time to go off. Like, I do feel like I have to sometimes be a little friendlier to counteract the fact that I'm about to play rule of law. you know it it is it's really a thing um yeah and you know it helps because when we play in online tournaments people generally know who i am and that definitely makes them less i think generally mad at me but you know i think at the beginning when i started playing and i'd be playing stack stacks people were not nice about me playing a stack stack they were very unhappy about it and it was harder to have like people do get tilted so you have to think about like how you're going to talk to people in a way that jives with what you're about to do to them in a, in a certain way. <laughs> I, I have a different experience when people played against me and they didn't 
know who I was at the time. All the time, like I remember when I went to like the first playing with power like patron day event tournament, uh, and I was playing Heliod, but I was playing not Heliod Ballista, but the old Heliod, and it was the Wincanless Stacks variant. People were just like, "Why are you playing a mono white deck?" Right, and, and, and long drag of cigarette <laughs> later. Is, uh, and I, I also brought eight and a half tails there, and then they're like, "Oh, cool! It's a eight and a half tails deck, but it's mono white, you know." And and like throughout the whole mm. entire process in in, in that game, uh, each of my matches there was no time limit for these matches, by the way. So uh, each of my matches were about two to three hours long. Uh, and my opponents, you know, at the end of the match was like, Wolf. why, why aren't you dead? And also, wow, this really sucks. Right. And, uh, but, but, but they weren't upset at me more, more floored by the fact that like, oh, I probably should not have underestimated you or something like that. Uh, yeah. and so the, so the general reaction that I got from most people was, you know, they, they underestimated me and most of our conversations during the game would be talking about how much mono white sucks. Mm-hmm. And and this almost seemed like a microaggression towards the deck that I'm playing or the color that I was playing. Uh, I, I didn't mm-hmm. take it as them being deliberately offensive. It was just more of like, oh man, you know, I really feel sorry for you for playing mono white. That's a really tough thing to do. More power to you for being able to do it. And they would go, just go on and on talking about it's not Timnon Thrasios, right? It's not Flash Hulk or something like that. And then they and then gradually, I'm just like, okay, well, I'm going to just play this rest in peace. I'm going to flash in this containment priest. I'm going to play this rule of law. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, yeah, you know, these are some pretty bad cards. All right, I'm going to play flash now. And then they're like, okay, well, your Hulk just gets exiled. And like, wait, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, I, I love that kind of thing though. It feels very yeah. good. You can't, yeah. you can't really revel in it or everyone will be mad at you. And then the pod will go very sour. Yeah, yeah. you gotta revel in it. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, so, so hidden satisfaction. So, here, 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 here's the thing to learn from this, right? Never underestimate your opponent, right? If your opponent plays a deck that you're just like, that deck is garbage, it's jank. The worst thing that could happen to you is just you losing to something that you think is utter jank because that just makes you look like an idiot and you will feel bad about yourself, right? Uh, and so w- mentally when you're engaging into a game, do not do not get yourself into that false lull. Play it like you would play any other game. Mm-hmm. Do your threat assessments correctly. Do not just, you know, yeah. glance by it. Like I had a game where uh, someone was playing Gustav. If, if For those of you who know Gustav, uh, he he started the game out with uh, this monkey pirate that when it dies, it creates a treasure. Right. And like literally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the other two players is like, oh, you know, it, it's a Mardu deck. And they're like the other two players is like, yeah, whatever. And then I'm just like, well, that's just perfect mana. If you're calling the weak it. Right to get you into Adnaz, Adnaz, right? And I just yeah. say that out loud, and Gustav is like, "Shut up, Charles," because <laughs> he literally does that the next turn, right? That's and, good. And like, literally, the other two players are like, I say this on my turn, and I'm fourth in the turn order, and the other two players are like, "Yeah." Had you just said that, like, on either of our turns, we probably would have like not tapped out uh, yep. for that because yep. we didn't think about that 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 interaction. Mm. And I'm like, yeah. I mean, it says it on the card. 
card. Like I don't like like yeah. yeah. And then they're like, yeah, but it's a card, but it looks like uh, a common or like a card that that nobody cares about or whatever. It, it's Mardu, Mardu's jank or whatever. I mean, at the time, like Tina Jessica wasn't like really making a big splash at that moment. Um, I think it was. It was I think it was Tina Jessica Dakusa. It was Tim Nadargo. Yeah. I think he was playing yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and really so long. and so people just yeah. didn't really think about it, right? And 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 that's my thing is that like, do not be so dismissive, especially when you're in a tournament. I mean, you could do this when you're like, you know, paper pushing and theory crafting, but at an actual tournament, yeah. that will that will just cost you the game. So do not underestimate your opponent. The second thing is uh, going back to what Michael said. Do not put your opponent on tilt. Right. Uh, and the reason why I say that is because and this goes back to like the whole 1v1 versus multiplayer dichotomy. Right. Uh, in it for 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 competitive grinders who like doing psychological warfare on their opponents to get them to screw up. Right. The it's very catastrophic if you try to do that to one player and they misplay mm-hmm. and it causes another player to win and not you. Oh, it's so bad. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think that's so, something that a lot of people don't appreciate about nature of multiplayer competitive magic is that you're like there's there's you know the adage of like never interrupt your enemy when they're making a mistake when you play absolutely interrupt your enemy mm-hmm. when they're making a mistake like yeah oh my god don't let them yeah. just just throw or like if their yeah. mistake is they don't win that's fine if their mistake is you know they're just gonna disrupt they don't the win game. and someone else wins yeah. oh it's it's so bad but you know you have to be careful about yeah. that too because i've lost my cool at someone yeah. like trying to bounce rule of at a bad time because it's just so clear we're gonna lose and then you know regardless of if they take my advice once you've lost your cool at them when they're doing something wrong then they like hate you too so it's like the wrong kind of you know like they will get mm-hmm. tilted off of it so yeah. it's like it can be really tricky and it can put you on tilt. Like one of the worst feelings is losing yeah. a pod in a tournament early on to someone else's mistake. And it'll put you in a, you can easily tilt for the rest of the tournament when that happens. Mm-hmm. So you have to be very, so, you know, yeah. mindful of how to get over those things. Cause they're going to happen no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. Someone's going to mess yeah. everything up. <laughs> I, and yeah. that tilt just ripples yep. across to other players and and you're and it's really weird because in traditional 1v1 tournaments the only person who ever suffers from them tilting or being overconfident or just playing too loose is yourself but now you're in yeah. pods with four players total right and so mm-hmm. your mistakes just get amplified to three other players mm-hmm. and it and it, and it and it just hits the whole tiebreakers Right. And, and so there's like this huge ripple effect. And so the more people who are on tilt are playing loosely, the more like variants you get to see in the tournament results. And that's just not something reliable or consistent that you can lean in on. Like as players and competitive players, we want more consistency in a format with so much variance already, especially in a tournament setting. And, and so there are, and so there are, like when you have that type of like chaos, right? It's very difficult to then make calculated decisions when you have players in a pod who are just like, you know, you know, fuck it. I I I went zero and three. I'm just going to turbo. I don't care about what any of you guys are going to do. I'm just going oh, to do my thing. It happens so yeah. much at the end of tournaments. People who are yeah. oh, like, yeah. I mean, if you're in a pod in most tournaments and you're zero and three, like everyone around you is just doing whatever at that point. I, I, well. 
Well, this goes back to like what Morgan, what's hinting sort of what Morgan is saying. Certain tournaments have different structures. Like I believe in Founders, yeah. you just had random pairings, right? You weren't necessarily yep. paired up. And there's reasons for why that that's the case. And we can go into that in like another episode about like why are tournament rules different in certain situations. And, you know, uh, and we, we, we can probably get some people to talk about that tournament organizers, but there's a lot of theory about it. Uh, at, about how the rules are structured that way. But if you're in a tournament where pairings are randomized each round, you can get paired up mm-hmm. with a player in a pod who just goes 0-3 and, and, and they are like, yeah, I, I have no stake in this. I'm just going to like, you know, screw around. And, and the other three players... I've lost. Our yeah, the other three players sure. like, oh my god, we have a loose cannon here. Yeah, it, but it's really a loose cannon. It's, it's very stressful. And that's the kind of thing where talking to the table is also helpful. When someone's clearly just yeah. playing nuts, like just bring it up to everyone, being like, "I like, yeah. no offense, player A, but you're doing some crazy shit." Does everyone else agree that like shit's getting a little <laughs> wild? Like, yeah. like what do we want to mm-hmm. do about mm-hmm. this? Because yeah, it really feels bad when you lose that way. And like, if it's not if it's the last yeah. round and you weren't gonna make top 16 whatever but when like that game is what defines if you make top 16 it is especially stressful and you yep. really need to figure out how to manage that is it's it's uh yeah it's awful i i lost out of top 16 to founders cup because someone was like uh f it i'm gonna go for this play and i said you have you have interaction like don't go for it if you don't know you can win and they said balls to the wall and didn't do the math and we they fizzled the next person won the game so it's uh, but so moral of the story, I think, and I'm glad you brought this up, Charles, because I was going to bring this up as like kind of like I, I think one of my biggest takeaways that I think people should take away from this episode is. In CEDH specifically, resetting mentally yep. is so huge um, because every time you go into a new pod, it is a new social interaction. So, for example, I, I mentioned many times before, I'm a very passionate player. I'm a very passionate person in general. I can get frustrated easily. I also can like, just like, you know what I mean? I I care about the game. I have a lot of fun doing it, but I also like if someone throws a game, like in that scenario where like they throw a game and I get out of top 16 or if they're a game and I'm now I'm on the, the edge of not being able to advance into the tournament. Those things can be really, really frustrating. So for example, I had multiple online tournaments during COVID where round ends I have 15 minutes to go. I go out in my hallway and I bitch to my roommate. About what happened. <laughs> and they don't really get, you know, some of them don't even play magic, but they listen to me bitch for 15 minutes. And I come back and I'm like, all right, new round. Hey everybody. How you guys doing? How, you having a good date so far? Yeah. My last round kind of sucked. Huh? Uh, but <laughs> I then come in with a completely like refreshed slate. Or for example, with some of the discord tournaments, like sometimes jumping in those voice calls and just like, calling Spleen a noob and yelling that like having people yell at me to start an OnlyFans. Like sometimes those things, <laughs> these are real examples. Trust me. I mean, we're, we're hearing more of Ian's fetishes today. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but like I, sometimes you just need whatever is going to reset your mental health. For some people that's listening to music. For some people, you know, at an in-person tournament, that's going to the vendors and buying cards and spending your money a little recklessly. And for some people that's, uh, you know, going to your friend and being like, "Sky through the game." Oh, bleh. all right, hey guys, next round. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, Michael, 
Yo, also true. Sometimes you just eat a little food in you. It's a real Michael thing. Michael and I have a private chat with Rebel, and like, I like, we use that exclusively in tournaments to, to shit talk. Yeah. I, I, sure. yeah. I feel like that's Cal and I. Cal and I have one of those appreciate yeah. sure. I mean, when, when I was at Vegas, and yeah, this was a modern tournament, but between rounds, like, I went and watched people playing CDH, and that was like my detox from yeah. like, I just had a stressful match. Yeah. I like barely put off the win. I'm gonna go watch Mikey play Armix Crom and try to go for it and lose, and that is what I'm gonna do. Um, <laughs> and the other thing that is really helpful if you're playing a deck and you've been talking to people about that deck for a while, like interacting with them on their Discord between rounds is good. Like I always report in the during the rounds how I'm doing with Heliod. So it's like if I just lost, I say like this is the pod and what happened, you know. And it it's a nice way to diffuse things and you know just get interaction with people who aren't yeah. trying to beat you at a game <laughs> yeah i did that i used to do that with my discord a lot for like a lot of the early early cockatrice tournaments i'd be like well totally pooched round one all right guys see you in round two and then people would be like yeah. hell yeah man you got it and it, it's just sometimes it's the little things that just refresh you mentally and i think it goes a really long way to to making sure that you're like ready to take on the hey, next I, thing I, and you know, for some people, that can also be analyzing yeah. what happened in the last round. With with CEDH specifically, there is more variance, and therefore there are legitimately going to be times where you look and go, "I there was actually nothing I could do there." And I know there's that's a safety mechanism for a lot of people, but there are literally going to be times, and it's one of the hardest parts about accepting that, especially as a, as, as a yeah, it's just accepting like, okay, I kept a good hand. Unless I read that person's mind, I could not have figured out that that's mm-hmm. what was going to happen. And it sucks, and that's what we got to mm-hmm. deal with, right? It, it, it's tough to grasp that. It took a lot of time. It's, it's very different. <laughs> it's possible to commit no yeah. errors and yet still fail. The Kobayashi Maru, I think, right? Um, yeah. Uh, oh, God, I'm such a nerd. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the most sad. probable outcome is not always the outcome, right? And that's in just the the fact of life yeah you what you could have done would might have been the most likely scenario what you were planning for and it's not going to matter mm-hmm. because the unlikely scenario happened yeah and yeah. you know i think that's a mistake mm-hmm. people make a lot where they they take a good bet and they lose and then they conclude that it was a bad mm-hmm. bet and that informs yep. the, like that's <laughs> not yeah, yeah, nice, no, that's, I don't even <laughs> Or, or like, yeah. not even necessarily conclude that it was a bad bet, but conclude that the play that they made was wrong. Like, yeah, and it's like, uh-huh. yeah, that's not it actually yeah. necessarily what happened. Like, like I don't know. I've had mm-hmm. I I played I played in such a way that like it would make it really hard for them to win with ad nauseum on their turn. But like, turns out even though they were only showing three mana, they actually had the mana to get all the way to peer into the abyss, and they cast that and won. Like, yeah, like. Sometimes, like, like a player has one card in hand, and they haven't tutored at all. And you have to be like, okay, the odds of them winning on their turn is very low, so I'm going to play around that. And then sometimes they draw a second copies mm-hmm. and get there, right? But you playing around them having one card, no tutors, is no. not wrong, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And that's I, I think that's a solid way of throwing that out yeah, there. Yeah, also, do not feel, like, guilty or shameful about yourself. I've had games uh, at my local game store and also online where uh, at a tournament or something... 
like that where i've had opponents who just sort of like oh i'm such a bad magic player for for doing this or whatever i i personally for me i just do not think that that's a really productive mindset to have of just you know shooting yourself down all the time uh that type of self-deprecation uh it it might be like a coping mechanism that that you're that 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 you could be doing to just you know to to, to just you know be like oh you know i i could have played this correctly but i didn't but you know i'm just going to chop it up to just me being a bad human being or whatever and (laughs) i mean it's a four-player game three people lose every match so like be prepared to lose (laughs) like it's gonna happen it's not like a two-player format where you know you should be winning 50 percent of your matches you're supposed to yeah lose mm-hmm. on average 75 percent if you're as good as ever if everyone's equally yeah. good and and you know like come yeah. on just yeah. be prepared to lose <laughs> this that's why like i i think I, I do way better in leagues than tournaments because leagues are always like i have a long time to get a plus win percentage like that's all i need is it's, i have to just yep. be mm-hmm. above the curve <laughs> and you don't have to win four in a row you don't have to get on the hot streak you just have to be above the curve and i was like i i can do that that's my success rate right there. yeah <laughs> definitely need to do an episode about strategizing on based on tournament structures if you're doing a league if you're doing yeah. a tournament yeah. and what are the tournament rules time limits and all that stuff because i feel like that that's a whole yeah. nother con right there to but talk about it is very those important kinds of to know things. that in pretty much any cdh tournament you don't need to run hot to make top 16 like you often can win yeah, yeah you, you can, can run go like two yeah. three <laughs> and make top 16 and like you need to know that mm-hmm. so that you don't freak out when you start losing because <laughs> that, yeah. that's going to be a disaster yeah, yeah I, I think people yeah. like if you have experience playing at things like grand prix where Typically, the cutoff for day two was like you have to be better than six and three or something like that. Yep. But yeah. like, yeah. yeah. First of all, it's important to recognize as a four-player free-for-all format, all of those expected values are way lower. Also, yep. generally, the tournament structure is mm. the reality is there just aren't that many people. So often, the the playing yeah like is less people for sure. The you know single the breakers to single elimination are often like pretty generous. Um, though obviously, you know, that can vary mm-hmm. tournament to tournament, but, um, yeah, I think, I think like understanding that you can lose several games and still, you know, come back from that and, and also like just not, uh, letting it get to you. And, and like, even if you are, uh, even if you are sort of on the precipice of like, okay, I really, I really do, you know, have to win this game. I'm just like doing everything you can to to sort of reset and not like you're zero and two, you know that sucks. It puts you in kind of a rough position. But like, if you start, you know, panicking, then you're definitely not going to come back. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, mm-hmm. if like you you might still, you know, what the reality is, if you're zero and two, you're probably going to get eliminated in your next game. Like, even if you're playing super well like i don't know a 40 percent win rate in this format is pretty impressive and if you're yeah if you're going into mm-hmm. yeah, one sure. game with a 40 percent chance to win it the reality is for every you know for every time you actually get to keep playing you know there's one and a half times or for every two times you get to keep playing there's three times where you lose that game and you get eliminated yeah. and 
like it's all right it happens um and yeah. sort of yeah. having having various strategies to to cope with that i think is is really important so one last thing uh and we'll go around uh before we move on to the next one uh which will probably be the last thing that we'll talk about and then we'll wrap up is uh for me be mindful about in the tournament in the middle of a tournament you have your own coping mechanism now your own mental habits that you have to resetting to maintaining a really constant you know frame of mind throughout be mindful that other people are probably doing their own thing like Mm -hmm. i will say this right now i do not like talkers (laughs) (laughs) like uh, i i like i i am that kind of guy at a tournament is like hey good luck i also do like helping people out in a tournament because i don't want people to like mess up a game i do not like people wasting my time at a tournament particularly because i am typically playing a stacks deck and so my time is extremely valuable uh and so that that's also one of the reasons why i don't necessarily like talkers but i i tend to be very patient with with a lot of that you might not even see me like irked or agitated if you're you're running your mouth or if you're in the tank for like 10 minutes right i don't even tell you to to hurry up or anything like that and that's mostly because i also as a player acknowledge that like my mental capacity and sort of like what is my cognitive overload for certain situations is of a different limit than than what yours could be and so i i try to be mindful and respectful of like you know what you're doing as a player might just be you trying to like cope or, or or habit in a really stressful setting and i'm trying to give you that type of space because the worst thing that i can do is just make that situation worse mm-hmm. right uh and if you know you, you can probably read books watch videos podcasts about this on things on de-escalation strategies that could actually be pretty helpful in a social situation especially when things get really tense and so those are some things to be mindful of is that everybody here it, because your success is actually dependent on everyone else's mental levels as well mm-hmm. you cannot afford to have someone just screw up because they they they're too anxious or they're tilted or something right and so just you know be mindful that other people might be trying to 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 mentally deal with what's going on right now uh during that time and so usually in a chat i might fuck around with with morgan and ian and 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 talk to 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 michael in the dms but other times i just put myself on mute and go make myself a sandwich or something like that right yeah. uh and, and and that's just the thing for me so ian what's what's your last takeaway for for this question on m- mental preparation in the middle of a tournament in the middle yeah so i, I think I, f- I feel like i covered a lot of it like resetting your mind is huge um also like human basics right like i feel like we forget those a lot as people um i always have mm-hmm. a snack i always uh as someone is addicted to coffee i always make coffee the morning of uh i heard reed or morgan one of the, one of the two of you at one point to crack a window like even in winter time like having a fresh breeze is actually huge i literally have seen my window's yeah, open too. right okay. now <laughs> i have seen a a <laughs> I've seen a rise in my cognitive function with a window open because the fact that I'm just breathing in fresh air, um, escapism. Like, like so. For example, uh, online tournaments, you're sitting in a chair for yeah. like seven oh, hours, awful. if not more. So you know what? I'll, I'll like I'm a I, I, medium active person, but I will literally get out of my chair. I'll like go into my living room. I'll lie on the floor. I'll I'll like do some like three moves of yoga to like pop my body out of its its function. I'll walk to get food. I'll do something to just like 
hop out of it for a bit. But remember that you are a human (laughs) with a human body. And sometimes just because you're nerding just so hard doesn't mean that your body doesn't also need to do human stuff. Uh, also, brought, you know, coming back to the anxious stomach thing, use the bathroom. definitely use the bathroom. <laughs> I go to the bathroom every bathroom. round. You, yeah. Oh my god! Please use the bathroom. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Please, yeah, yeah. As someone with a, a very, very weak stomach, uh, yeah, do it, do it, do it for yourself. You'll feel so yeah, much and better. And I think also, like, <laughs> if you are a little bit cognizant of that and you sort of plan ahead, uh, then you know you can save yourself some anxiety because, like. It can be kind of difficult in the middle of, you know, this tense game to be like, hey, guys, I actually now I need to run to the bathroom real quick. You know, like, yeah, that's a situation you don't want to be in. So, like, just before the round, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like, make sure, you know, leave leave a little bit of time for me. For me, it's like I I always make sure it's like, okay, I'm going to go fill my water glass like. It's it's three quarters full and mm-hmm. I'm about to start a round. You know, I'm just I'm just gonna go fill it because yeah, I'm gonna want water. And mm-hmm. if this game goes long, yeah. I'm still to, gonna want water. Yeah. To to interject there, and I know I, I already said my piece, but specifically as someone who has a weak stomach, uh, and because of anxiety, it will get worse. Right. So something I literally have done before with judges in tournaments, where I've said, "Hey, just so you guys know, I have a stomach thing." there may be a point where I need to leave this round. And just knowing that I have alerted a judge and they're aware of an issue that I may have has already made me feel better. So sometimes it's 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 that kind of preparation thing where it's like, okay, hey, I I might feel sick at some point. I'm not trying to like cheat. I'm not trying to go look at my phone. I have mm-hmm. a stomach thing. Like, know this. And they don't make special exceptions. That They have the same rules as everyone else. But just knowing that like we're, I'm on the same page with somebody who it matters is, is a good, yeah, your, your opponents will, will, will play around that to, and it'll be helpful for them to make really good play decisions, uh, and, and, and thinking about their time. And it'll be very important for the judge. If the judge gets called and once again, remember the judge is your friend, right? It like, yeah. I've had a game where a judge, where, where, where a player tried to bully me into saying like, you know, your, your, your turns are taking too long, et cetera, et cetera. This is back when I, when I was like 15, it was a one V one and we were playing with like $1,500 on the line. And this was the finals. I was so stressed out. This was like one of the first tournaments that I played in. I did so well. And like this, you know, 20 late twenties guy just starts psychologically bullying me about it. And this is probably one of the worst competitive experiences I had. It wasn't only until after the fact that, you know, one of my friends who was like a mentor, the guy who was teaching me how to play magic, you know, told me, why didn't you just call a judge? If the guy was, you know, criticizing you for slow play, right. And like actually just get a judge over there because the only person who can actually punish you for slow play was the judge. Right. And so you have to keep that in mind that when 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 things feel really tough or whatever and you feel like you're going to make a mistake, like a legal game mistake, right? A judge can be your enemy if you've already made that mistake and you get a games violation or whatever. But a judge can be your friend yeah. before you make that mistake so that they can be like, so true. hey there, buddy. That's not a legal action. I'm going to stop you before you pick up your deck and do something that you're going to regret <laughs> doing, right? Uh, so anyway, yeah, Morgan, you, you have, you have the table. Sorry for Ian and I jumping on you there. Sorry. Wait. Oh, just. Oh yeah. Final thoughts about, you know, uh, mental prep in the middle of a tournament. Um, yeah, I think, you know, we've, 
we've covered all of the basics of you know, knowing what you're going to need as a player and and knowing uh, so you know, a lot of that is is the reality. It's just the physical stuff, um, moving water, food, um, and then having strategies having strategies to cope with things going wrong uh, because things are going to go wrong. Like no one's tournament experience is like, oh yeah, I just showed up, you know. I easily won every game and I won the whole tournament and like that, 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 that just doesn't happen, right? Like you're going to be playing games where yeah. you think people are making like really bad decisions that mm-hmm. make it harder for you to win. You're going to be playing games where like it just any number of things is going to, are like, is going to happen. Um, and so, you know, setting some things out ahead of time, get some friends who you can, bitch to just to let off some steam or you know maybe it's a just a even if it's not like a private thing just like in a discord chat or like you know hey hey hey, are you like are you seeing this did you guys get a load of like this thing that happened in my last pod um and -hmm. just you know make sure that you're uh make sure that you have everything you need to succeed and then take advantage of those things make sure they're available and then actually use them because i think it's easy to do one and not the other Mm -hmm. and michael you have the floor on on this one now i mean pretty much everyone has said everything um but like don't feel like you're doing too much to take care of yourself when you're at it like when the tournament situation arises whether when you're home or you're there like if you need to do something to feel better before the next round happens do it like there were some rounds at vegas where i you know i was very happy to discover that at the venue where mtg vegas was there was an amex lounge what did an amex lounge mean well guess who wasn't in the amex lounge any of the other people playing in the tournament i went in there and it was just me and 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 gavin was in there making business calls and it was a really good way for me to get out of the mindset of the whole thing going on in Vegas. And, you know, mm-hmm. was it, did it mean I was going a place that literally none of my friends were, you know, to sit alone and eat weird free snacks that they gave out? Like, yeah, but like, that was definitely what I needed. I had traveled all the way to Vegas with friends to play a social game but I needed the time by myself and like, just be okay doing that. Just like, yeah, like don't do catastrophic things. I'm not saying like, do you, if you need to go like kill a puppy between rounds, do it. But like, (laughs) but like if you don't feel like you need to like talk to your friends, don't feel like you need to stay in the building. Like, don't worry that people will think whatever you're doing is weird. Just like do it as long as it's like, you know, not obviously weird. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so um let's let's move on to to the last uh topic of discussion for today and that is what do you do after the event uh and i think like like some people just just like oh well the event is over There's, like what, what's there to say about it? And I think there is actually some things to say about it. I think we hinted about this along the way. I think like one particular thing that comes to mind is Morgan and Ian, you guys brought this up is, uh, and you as well a bit, Michael, uh, about basically 
your thoughts about your matches, right? I think like one of the things that uh, for most of us who are going to be playing this, there can really only be one winner at a tournament. So uh, I think the thing to really hit on is what do you do after you just scrubbed out <laughs> of your tournament, right? Uh, like what, like you might be feeling bad right now, or you might just not be feeling anything at all. Like what, what, what's going on? So, uh, let's see, I had Morgan start, I had Ian start, Michael, I'll, I'll have you start on this. Like, so say that I'll, I'll do it two ways. Say that you won your tournament. What do you do mentally? And say that you lost your tournament. What do you do mentally? I mean, I think ideally you do almost the same thing, which is you stop thinking about magic. Mm-hmm. I think it is super counterproductive to immediately sit there and like be like, all right, I have to go through every game and figure out what I did wrong. Think about what cards I'm going to change in my deck. And like, that doesn't mean I succeed at that. There's tons of times, you know, when it's online tournaments, maybe my girlfriend will be waiting for us to go to dinner when the tournament ends. And like, she can tell that I am clearly in my head thinking about how awful it is that I misplayed and lost that pod, you know, and it's so counterproductive. <laughs> You're not going to like play it better because you thought about it obsessively immediately after the tournament ended. You, you, <laughs> you just aren't. So like, you know, go see some friends, have a beer or if you smoke a joint, like whatever you need to do to like get out of it. You know, that was the other good thing about Vegas. I was the only one playing modern. So like I went home and we played like CDH. We talked yeah. about CDH. We like just went yeah. to go eat. That was that was really uh, a savior. For me because mm-hmm. i yeah. didn't have to think about my deck in any way i didn't have to think about what magic was for me that weekend um here it's helpful because you know i i live in my significant other so i have someone to go like immediately do something else with uh if you're by yourself it might be helpful to just have that plan already obviously like when the tournament ends really matters on how well you do but like Mm-hmm. Yeah, like if you have a plan, even if it's like, well, when the movie or when the the round's over, if I lost, I'm going to watch this movie. Like, you know, I've already yeah, thought about it. That. It's already planned. Yeah. Like have that plan and, and do, go and decompress. If you won, celebrate. Mm-hmm. You know, if you lost, it's just, you know, yep. the next part of your day. That's a mm-hmm. fine way to, to think about it. All right. Uh, Ian. Uh, yeah, a lot of the same stuff. Um, so for me, it really depends. Uh, if I, so I think for a lot of it, it depends on like how I'm feeling after the tournament, right? So if I, for example, lose in a really tense spot with the game and like an opponent punts and that's my cut for top 16, right? So like real example I mentioned earlier that day, I not only did I leave the Discord at the time, I shut down Discord completely, went and go and watch a show with my roommates. And I was like, complete magic purge. Um, or at like the first DDM event, it was my first tournament in CEDH. I went to the side tables, got absolutely hammered with some people from the community and we played games, but people were playing decks like Hippo Hulk and we were <laughs> screaming about, I was, you know, unironically or ironically dabbing on people throughout the game. We were just being loud and boisterous and having a good time. So we we're still playing CEDH, but it was just, it's a complete purge of the tournament and yeah so later i thought about it and later i made adaptations before the next tournament to to reflect on what i had learned um and if you're one of those people who like is a little forgetful write it down write, write down your feelings really quick and then be like oh for example like i i do this with everyday stuff where i'm like oh man i don't want to be worrying about this thing all the time but i gotta mm-hmm. i gotta move on write it down it's there it exists now i'm not gonna forget it boom done you're done with it 
Uh, I think finding yourself free of stuff is good. And if you win, like, there is nothing wrong with enjoying yep. victory. Like, <laughs> there is absolutely nothing wrong with enjoying that. Talk to your friends. Be like, yeah, I'm feeling really excited about this. Like, thank you if people congratulate you. Like, uh, there is nothing wrong with enjoying it. Feeling really proud of yourself. I, I don't think there's a difference between, like, uh, gloating, right, and then having pride. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with feeling good about yeah. an accomplishment you did. So, yes, we talked about, like, purging yourself of your environment if you like lose or if you like don't make the day or whatever uh but your victories like you, you do this for a reason if you're a competitive person like you enjoy competing and even if you make like top four or top 16 be like hell yeah i i i had a place yeah. in this tournament i did well like good for me like i'm pat myself i am back super pumped life, to make know? top 16 and above like i have never won yeah, won a tournament i top 16 or i top four like and I don't really care that much about that. Like, I only feel bad if I go O and whatever. Like, no yeah, wins yeah, yeah, feels yeah. pretty yeah. bad. But if you win one match out of five, you know, you're statistically indistinguishable from mm-hmm. winning two matches out of five, which is usually often making yeah. top 16. So whatever. Yeah, I, I, f- I feel that way, like too. For- when you make it to a top spot, like, it's just like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm already there. Keep in mind, your chances of winning in a four-player multiplayer game is a lot worse than 1v1. So you making it this far is already an accomplishment. So yeah, go ahead, Ian. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, and like, for example, like Okotoberfest, uh, that was, yeah, yeah, that was a recent one. I always get March days in Okotober <laughs> mixed up depending on what time of year it is. Uh, but like the, the first day of that tournament, I ended the day in fourth place overall for the entire tournament. And I was like, yeah, I feel really good about this. And I talked about it with my friends. And I was like, yeah, this felt really good. I'm really proud of myself for this day. Okay, cool. And like, I had that little bit of pride, but I wasn't like reveling in it all night. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But like, if it, this is a hard format. It is, in my opinion, the hardest format in all of Magic. And I will die on that hill. I will argue that to the day I die. Uh, so if you do well in it, you should celebrate that by yourself. Um, and obviously, if some people are like, "I'm humble, I never celebrate." I am humble. <laughs> That's okay. I never celebrate. You know, I'm just the an ascetic monk. <laughs> All right, Morgan, go uh, ahead. I think, uh, you know, I think everyone had good things to say about sort of what to do with yourself in the immediate aftermath. I guess I'll take a slightly different tack and say, uh, even not even like same day, but you know, in the week after the tournament, uh, don't make a whole bunch of changes to your deck. Uh, unless <laughs> unless there's like a, a really consistent problem that you notice with your deck. Like, like, so an yeah. example was when I built uh, my Hazri Zerda deck. Uh, I didn't, I was sort of basing it off my experience mm-hmm. playing Thrasios and Timna um, where like, uh, it was a Razaketh deck where I'd been using I've been using Spellseeker to get a reanimate. And then, so I was like, you know what? I don't actually think I need life death. Like, it's kind of an underwhelming reanimate spell, and the number of times I actually need the extra bodies is, like, pretty uncommon. But then, like, when I started using Loyal Retainers in the, the Tazri Zerta deck, I was like, oh, I consistently have at least one fewer body. Also, my commander sucks balls and costs five, so I often don't have my commander in play either. Um, <laughs> So, like, mm. you know, okay, I should have added life death to that deck. But, like, don't 
go and be like, oh, I could have got out from under this lock if only I'd put Dismantling Wave in my deck and then go and put a Dismantling Wave in your deck. <laughs> or, you know, oh, this card, you know, I drew it twice and it wasn't really, I wasn't feeling it, it didn't seem like what I needed, I'm just going to cut it. Like, th things like that are are just not really appropriate. Like, one tournament is is not data to base your deck building. It's not enough of a sample size. On. And I think people tend to like, oh, based on my experience at this last tournament, I'm going to make all these changes. Um, and I, I really mm -hmm. would caution against that. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I found like magic fests and stuff like that to be way more indicative of how a deck performs. Cause you end up playing like freaking like 40 mm -hmm. games by the end of the day. And like, you're like, okay, like I get, I get how this all works. Or by the end of the weekend, probably more like, but you're like, yeah, I, I, I can make a change in my deck now because I've seen this so many more times as opposed to like, there's some tournaments you play. F even if you make it to the top pods, you can play six yeah. games. Yeah. yeah. Like that was <laughs> the, the, the logistics. Uh, I was going to say the, the logistics of running a EDH tournament, especially if it's not a league and it's just one day, Right there are only so many games you can actually fit into a single day. Uh, and whereas like you look at a grand prix and they could be like 12 games, right. On day one. And there's like a day two right afterwards. Uh, so it's, yeah. Uh, sorry, Morgan, go ahead. Yeah. Like I, I was just going to use this as an example. I believe the first tier one gun online tournament uh, was, I think they actually had so few players that it was a three round, three round Swiss. Followed by a top 13 yes, cut correct. where if you were the top seed, you went direct into the finals. So I believe mm -hmm. that was four games yep. of Magic that I played. <laughs> like, using mm -hmm. that as a basis for like, yep. oh, I need to make changes to my deck is, I mean, surely that, you know, if I, you know, if you didn't hear me say four games of Magic and go, well, that's not nearly enough information, then <laughs> I don't know, maybe, maybe reevaluate a little bit what you're using as as a basis for things but yeah uh, this is where i think goldfishing is often so important because you actually just don't gold play gold. as many matches of cdh with a consistent deck list as you think so so like you need to find <laughs> the clunky things in the goldfish and make those changes because you're never gonna play yes. like a hundred matches with the deck with the same exact list it's just never gonna happen um so Never. like I, I found that when I started playing modern competitively that it's so much easier for me to figure out if I need to make changes to my modern deck because I can just play a lot of quick games and see the cards very frequently in your singleton deck. You're not going to see the card that frequently, but every match is going to be so different. Like what you learn from playing against Razakats in one pod is not the same thing you're going to learn from playing against it in another pod. And you just need to make your deck work. And and so losing four matches, yes, please don't change your deck. But maybe now you think about what to pay attention to in your goldfishing from what you what yes. you saw yeah. in those mm -hmm. matches. But like don't change your deck because in one tournament you did badly. Um Yeah, the, the meta changes constantly and and I, I feel like you're you're going to base your one change off of one tournament and then you're going to go to another tournament like if, if you're if you're playing a tournament where you're like oh i lost to a bunch of winota decks better you know tech in board wipe and then you go to like the next game and everyone's just running turbo nas and you're just like well now i look like an idiot <laughs> right 
Uh, and mm-hmm. so you, you want to think exactly what you just said, Michael. You just want to think about what your deck is doing mm-hmm. and just focus on that mm-hmm. uh, in the general case. And this really comes to like your skill as a player and your knowledge of cards interactions. Like uh, I, I've seen players make rushing river work and, you know, they they'll die in their hill being like, you don't need cyclonic riff rushing river is all that you ever need or whatever, or something like that. But you're not them and they're not you. And you kind of just have to like realize what, you know, you're capable of doing with certain cards, how you understand interactions. Mm-hmm. And, and when you lose in a tournament, you should just think like, okay, well, you know, I, I keep losing to this card and and you do this retrospect and, and figure out like, okay, do I need cards in my deck to, to, to deal with this, with this play pattern that, or this archetype that I keep losing to, or do I need to change something about myself? And once again, to emphasize all three of you guys do it after like, it's been like, you know, at least 24 hours mm-hmm. since the tournament. Cause yeah. You just got through like a whole day's worth of of competitive grinding. Uh, you, you're not going to be thinking straight, um, and <laughs> you've been working so hard at like just keeping your mental state at a fixed constant that it's just not going to help you. Uh, it's going to kill your brain. Hey, hey, hey um, that's not true. Didn't you hear? A sick robot said CDH tournament fatigue isn't real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Quick note on the goldfishing. I someone the other day like tweeted at me asking about how many times I goldfish a list before like actually sleeving it up, and I said literally between fifty to hundred goldfishes with the. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's as simple as like, okay, this is a keepable opening hand, and it's it's not like I'm I'm talking about going and playing out the actuality of like how many turns could I get in before winning and stuff like that. It's more like, okay, if I mulligan to five here, why am I do I keep mulliganing so low? Is it because my deck is so greedy and I have to do that, or is it because I put six five drops in the deck and it feels bad right and like yeah and it it, did people really like hear like 50 to 100 and they're like that's insane yeah yeah, no i I do this i do it all the time in the background (laughs) it's such an easy thing to do it's so addicting actually like i'm on moxfield oh yeah (laughs) i'm just doing like i i hit the restart button and then i do it again and like i play like for for the stack decks that i'm piloting i play up to like turn seven being like okay what what am i curving out to what is like you know the 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 trajectory of like my board state does this even like work on like turns like three to whatever like i'm going through all this thing and like i don't know why but like i get like um uh what what's 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 the chemical for like pleasure or dopamine. whatever uh, yeah I, I get like a dopamine, dopamine. this one oh, no. right here. yeah i i i just get like some sort yeah, of like satisfaction. it's almost because i i have like some some mobile games and like tabletop games on my phone that like i would literally just play with the ai mindlessly sometimes even in like you know i'm on the subway or whatever right and that is like the same type of feeling that i feel when like i'm just goldfishing i'm just running through the rounds right start playing belcher and modern it's so fun to goldfish belcher it takes no time at all because most of the time you win turn three and uh like the new a new card came out for belcher and i goldfished with that card like probably already 400 times and i was just like here are all the lines mm-hmm. you gain with with march of reckless joy which is a sweet card everyone it's an amazing card um I'm- and like <laughs> yeah and like it's it, yeah. it's good practice to get an idea of the lines of your deck it's good 
to just know when things aren't smooth. Like this, I've had this argument with the Heliod Discord forever. I think torpor orb effects are bad in Heliod because half of our tutors are ETB effects. Like you only know how bad it is if you just keep goldfishing and keep seeing that you can't tutor because you're torpor orb effect. Yeah. And like, yeah, if you play your Heliod deck twice a week, it's going to take a long time to realize how bad it is. And if you goldfish it a yeah. hundred times a week, you're going to know real soon that you can't have a torpor orb effect when you cast Recruiter of the Guard. You just can't do it. It's awful. I mean, mm-hmm. in, like, I'm, I'm probably cutting lean and Arbiter, and that'll be like a major change, I think, before the next tournament. And it's because I have experienced that being a problem, goldfishing forever, but I kept telling myself it wasn't that big of a problem. And now I'm like, you know, it, the problem never went away. I still feel like it's a huge problem. So it's on the cutting block, and I, it'll probably go. Because now we got Lion, Sash. One cat for another cat. Let's go. So I, 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 <laughs> All I right, definitely Morgan. say that like there are things that you can't evaluate in gold fishing. I think in some ways uh, mm-hmm. stacks falls into that. For sure. I also just I have to see how how uh, disgusted Ian's face is when I say that. How many times do I goldfish a deck before sleeving it up? Generally between you know five and two hundred. <laughs> like. Like so, sometimes I'm just like, yeah, we're doing this, and sometimes I'm like, <laughs> like, like Vanifar. Yeah, I sure spent God, like too long on that deck, like just, just ridiculously long. Well, yeah, there's certain decks. Like, I don't need to uh, to turbo goldfish a new Adnaz mm. deck. You know what I mean? I get how it freaking works, right? Like, <laughs> but there are some decks, like for example, like when I was first building Winota, the reason that that deck even like I knew to take it into a pod I wasn't gonna like show up with this Boros deck untested and have people not be like Ian yep. shove off right so I like I, I think I play I goldfish that deck maybe 300 times at least before I ever brought it to a real pod <laughs> all right so I think this this, this kind of wraps up with uh everything that uh that we have to say about mentally prepping for a tournament both before during and after all right so i guess as we're concluding this uh just want to give a shout out to uh the marchesa 2022 mm-hmm. if you're going to that tournament and you're listening to this uh ian michael and myself will be there uh so you can come and hang out with us if you scrub out or whatever uh you know one of us mm-hmm. is likely to have scrubbed out or all three of it's us ian. And uh, and I'm going to steal your spot again. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah, uh, or or something like that. But you know, come chill with us, hang out, and you know, we'll make sure that that that, that you have a good time. Um, and uh, yeah, also just do come to the event. Uh, there there should be like a Discord or whatever for it for you to sign up. Yeah, there's a there's a hundred slots, so you know when it opens up, you should. I we'll see if this episode goes out before it opens up, but try to sign up right away. Yeah. Um, you can sign up early if you are a Discord um, a patron or just a patron. Um, but that might have already passed. But definitely, if you you're thinking about doing it, sign up. Never been to Seattle, but it sounds cool. Yeah, Nirvana's from mm-hmm. Seattle. Yeah, I like that. Uh, Odessa is from Seattle, I believe, but don't like it as much as Nirvana. Yeah, but (laughs) not bad. (laughs) Yeah, not bad. All right. Uh, Any final parting thoughts? I'll start with you, Ian. 
Yeah. So one thing I, I kind of realized that I hadn't said and that I think is kind of important is one of my biggest like glow up moments, I guess I will call it, is listen to people who know <laughs> what they're talking about. And I say that and it sounds super easy. Um, but the thing is, there is a it is very easy to be a content creator in the CEDH space and not have performances mm-hmm. to back it up. Uh, and I'm not, that's not to, to like trash talk anybody. There are many <laughs> content creators who just don't do tournaments because it's not their thing. And that's totally fine. Um, <laughs> I feel the, the psychic pull the Callahan pointing at themselves. Uh, <laughs> but there is like one of my, most improved things and it's probably making Morgan uncomfortable now but like listening to Into the North was a huge upgrade for me because the the amount of accolades that the combined podcast hosts of that <laughs> podcast have is absolutely mm-hmm. ridiculous um, and these are people who consistently win and I found myself being a better player because I learned how to analyze like they did and I took it into my own and I definitely do not play the exact same way as you can probably hear throughout this entire episode but I learned a lot of good lessons by listening to people who consistently are performing well. It is very easy to grab a microphone and and say some malarkey because you have a platform and have no one to challenge you on it. But if people like are consistently doing well or even like doing well enough that that you keep seeing their name or they're doing well, like, for example, uh, like Michael with someone who, you know, I, I respected him at first because I heard he did I well did. with Wind City at one point. And I then I was like, oh, here comes Wind City. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because there's an old yeah. episode of um, Lab Maniacs where I'm pretty sure Cobblepot has been like, yo, that was a fluke. He just like, I, I don't know if it was Cameron or Cobblepot, <laughs> but someone was like, no, that deck obviously. I feel sucks. like that sounds like. He just like yeah, got that... Mirror Entity at once when no one else could do anything. And I was in there being like, oh, you'll <laughs> see. You'll see. Yeah, I feel like that's something that, that 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 Cameron would say. No, no, no offense to Cameron. Cameron's a great player, right? Uh, but yeah, the just like Kalpa is just way too like analytical to even like give a. And you know he loves a, mirror entity. Who doesn't love mirror yeah. entity? That card's hilarious. Yeah, for sure. yeah. but I definitely contact people. But yeah, listen, but, listen to people. Talk to like about. Charles reached yeah. out the first time Charles and I really ever talked. He reached out to me because he was prepping for the playing with power tournament and wanted to play old Heliod. And you just want to talk about mm-hmm. mono white and how to yeah. like, what is good right now to do with that. Yeah. It was really yeah. weird because Michael and I, because at the time Michael was like, Oh, I'm not on rule of law. It's like, Oh dude, I, I'm totally down bad for, for rule Still of law. Hate rule right? of law. Yeah. And so it, it was, it was really weird because yeah. we had like distinct play styles, but we had very similar thoughts about, how we approach to play mono white because we were both dealing with the inability to ramp draw or even like we didn't really even have that many great tutors at the time i mean like heliod ballista had way more tutors to access to than like old heliod uh did because you had like i think like three different ways to just grab a walking ballista yeah. in that deck and and it was just sort of like figuring out how that worked but three. i think like the th- three yeah. Three ways yeah. to find your win con. What an awful yeah. deck. <laughs> yeah, and so like, like yeah, because because one of the things I was talking about was like, yeah, you know, because because playing with power actually got me to like try and build a Heliod Ballista deck for them, mm-hmm. and I was telling them like, yeah, this is kind of problematic because you know the the kind. Of, the kind of stacks packages that you were running. Cause I also said the same thing about Torpor was like, you don't actually want to run this in here because 
yours like literally half of your tutors are just gone mm-hmm. uh and, and and it's gonna feel bad because literally that's what that card is there for like when you put in that tutor it is not a stacks piece right yep. like we didn't really get advantage of like well we did later get ranger captain of aos and god that card was so amazing it's it's like it's blown up now but like yeah but it's it like, reformatted it's dumb it's just a, yeah. it's so good it was so good right and, but like once again it was just like even figuring that part out because i was like you know you can't you can't just do so much colorless mana base like ranger captain is two white pips right <laughs> ian sitting there <laughs> having yelled at me at vegas for how few white producing sources are in oh my, my deck. god this motherfucker in his yeah. meta base is so. I was like, you can't play Book of Exalted Deeds and have like two planes yeah. in your deck. You can't I, I, I beat just this guy. I just recently for the new white channel land. Okay. So there's one more yeah. white source in the deck. I need it to play Lion Sash. Oh, I need it to play Lion yeah I, I i said the same thing too so so in the mlc we're able to like swap out uh like i think five cards uh in a deck yep. for for whatever and i i believe i literally just put in more planes into the heliod blister deck because i was just like yeah. yeah like there's there's just not enough and and like that deck yeah. like took me to the semifinals. like i like most of my wins in the mlc literally were from just heliod ballista and yeah, yeah and 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 the funny thing was like it wasn't even with the heliod ballista combo it was just sometimes i was just like yeah i'm just gonna start attacking people just don't 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 realize that i mean this is the thing that michael and i often talk a lot about with like stacks strategies and stuff like that is that your opponent is like thinking one thing and you could just be doing another but that's a whole another conversation it's just Back to the yeah, game, just talk to the people who yeah. you think might help you prep for the tournament. Most people mm-hmm. want to help you, especially if they're really into playing the deck that you're going to play. Because, like, I'm happy for anyone to do well with Heliod. It's, like, the deck that's my baby. So when anyone does well, I feel good about it. And, you know, and, like, a lot of the discords are structured that way. I know, like, on the 8 Wack Discord we all geek out when any of us do well in a tournament in the, in the Belcher discord. Like we all geek out. I mean, the Belcher <laughs> discord is like a Belcher plus oops, all spells discord. And I get excited when oops does well. And I don't even play oops. <laughs> like we just share a discord, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, but like, that's a good way to, to prep for a tournament. Cause everyone just wants each other to do well. You're not like their opponent on discord. I, I mean, mm-hmm. unless you're super argumentative and yeah. kind of an asshole, but yeah. That's a whole other story. Yeah, don't but yeah, don't, don't be that person. Want to help you prep? So reach out to the people you think know about the deck you want to play, or about the meta game that you think you're going to be playing into. I mean, just do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Morgan, yeah, I would say on on the point of talking to people who know what they're talking about, I've made this point a few times. Sometimes it seems self serving, but I guess given that uh, <laughs> I uh, I did, I was in fact the person who won the last tournament I entered. Uh, people overvalue tournament wins. Like, like someone who wins a tournament, uh, you know, I'm not saying that, oh, oh, it's just easy, but, like, I would be lying if I said there wasn't luck involved. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, like, you know, people who consistently top 16 tournaments, for example, like, if you can show up to four or five events in a row and go two and three, like you're rocking a 40% win rate across like, you know, not a huge number of teams, but, but a decent number of teams like that. That really means something. Yeah. 
and um and like like yeah yeah so people remember. and and like also for evaluating decks i think people like oh xyz deck won uh this tournament like therefore it's a good deck and it's like oh this deck that's been you know in like like you know all the all the thrasios timna memes uh you know, tnt's dead whatever like it, it was still continuously showing up in top fours you know like, mm-hmm. like and and i know like that one in particular was like largely done <laughs> yeah but like there are lots of decks where it still clearly performs um but people sort of have this tendency to like yeah just write it off um and yeah so just you know be mindful of not sort of overreacting to writing things off streams uh and the last thing i would say is just don't ever let anyone have survival it it just (laughs) this is not self-serving because i play survival the fittest a lot no it never let that card resolve it's just that card is not okay and it always gives them more reach than you expect Mm -hmm. so just that's it turns every single card every single creature into your in your opponent's hand into like a worldly tutor that, call like, just the better version yeah. of worldly tutor into an Eldar- the yes. cost of worldly tutor one into, yeah. oh it's insane yeah it's that's that's a good way to think about how that card actually works right? and there are graveyard synergies so like don't you yes it's like oh do i need this to be an entomb or an eladamri's call well or both it's both yeah like, <laughs> yeah 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 um okay well uh that about wraps things up for for today uh so just a quick reminder uh you can follow us on twitter at the sculpty boys uh, or you can find a direct link in our link tree in the description below uh i'm charles mono white guy uh and ian you want to sign yourself off Hey, hi, I'm Ian. Uh, you can find me on youtube.com slash comedian MTG if you want to find You can more find content. me at youtube.com. Uh, also, <laughs> <laughs> um, also, if you, I'm so sad that the audience doesn't get to see Cal because there was one moment where Cal was just laying back, drinking alcohol, and reading Dune. And honestly, if that's not, if that's not screenshot, if there's, if anyone's curious why I lose my absolute shit multiple times in this episode is because of the lounge in Callahan. And I just need everyone to know that so they don't think I'm laughing at things people are saying in here. We all have Callahan in our minds right now as you're watching us. Right? So we we all share this visual image of Callahan. In our minds is a much nicer way of saying on the brain. Yeah. (laughs) Burnt into our psyche. This is what happens when you join the mind sculptors. Alright. Morgan, you want to take it away? Uh, sure. Yeah, uh, I'm uh, Spoonface. I'm uh, or Morgan. I go by either. Uh, and uh, on the Mind Sculptors with some level of regularity. And you can also find me uh, as part of the Into the North podcast, which is on YouTube and uh, you know anywhere you get podcasts. And uh, I stream on Sunday evenings at twitch.tv slash teamturn3. So if you're into CDH live streams, uh, <laughs> definitely come check those out.
Sorry, Ian's dying because Callahan is just <laughs> trying to make him die, and it's I can't it's stop either. Oh, Ian's face I mean, well, is in a blanket. I don't know if we're going to show all of our faces this whole time. I mean, like, look, Ian. We 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 learned earlier today that that, that Ian has a thing for near death experiences. All right, <laughs> <laughs> all right, Michael. Uh, my co-host, Michael, Doctor Michael Levine, I should say. You can find uh, me on Twitter by my literal name, Michael V. Levine, because I'm not that creative. Um, and there you can read about magic and science and maybe sometimes politics. Um, otherwise, I'm on this regularly. And uh, you can find me in the Mono White Discord. You can find me in, if you like modern and you were listening to this being like, you know what? Modern sounds better than CDH. Come to the. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. Someone just sculpted in my mind and reminded me. So come to the Belcher slash Oops Discord. Come to the Eight Wack Discord, but also come to the Mind Sculptors Discord. I am also there, you know. And especially during spoiler season, I love to be in the Mind Sculptors Discord <laughs> because <laughs> what else you're gonna do when you see a spoiler? You're gonna ta- you're gonna post it and you're gonna tag Charles, who can't respond because he's working very diligently at work, and I- we're just gonna talk about it, and he's gonna come at the end of the day. <laughs> And he's going to be like, oh, my God, that's cool. And we're going to be like, well, we talked about that like seven hours ago. Sorry, Charles. (laughs) That happens to me so often. Everyone talks about spoilers right when I'm at work. And I'm always like, good point. And they're like, what are you even on about? Come and join. I'm doing really big, important mono white things with the big mono white government. All right. I I mean, I have to wonder, is it? Are, is spoiler season Oof. better or worse as a mono white guy? Because like, obviously, you only care about a fifth of the cards, but also your standards are just so much lower. So like, oh, oh yeah. shut up, Morgan! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For once I, I, at, I actually look at every card. I'm also a pretty big limited player. Uh, if you ever catch me playing in a cube, I once like forced mono white in like a popper dual color cube and the guy's like i didn't even know that this was an archetype and i was like i'm making this an archetype <laughs> i even forced mono white in a mono gray cube and what i mean by that was that basic lands were part of the draft and everything was colorless and i was like i'm going to play a mono white archetype and you better believe it, it's going to work and they're like wait what and i was like I, and, I, and i just did it I, I tapped out my opponent's creatures and i started attacking and i played Urza Saga, which was an enchantment, and then they're like, holy fuck, this is a mono-white deck in a mono-gray cube, right? I never want but, to play a mono-gray cube. That sounds awful. <laughs> it's really fun. I ended up building like a meme version of the deck that I drafted into an Oswald Urza Saga deck that I played against Morgan, and Morgan was just like, uh, yeah, I'm going to just play Meltdown, and I was like really sad. <laughs> Meltdown. Yeah. Come to the, come to the Discord come hang out with us um and if you like the mono white guys content let us know and let us know what you want to hear us talk about because we're pretty much just talking about mono white over and over again so let us know how we should focus that mono white energy (laughs) uh that 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 sounded a little wrong okay <laughs> so does half the guy stuff you guys say. Just, you power through. All right, cool. All right. <laughs>
<laughs> he said not you a white did. government earlier. I uh, want to point okay. out. <laughs> I mean, more about the fact that white tends to focus a lot on laws and order. <laughs> no, All right, you know, I, I, I'm bringing myself like we were six feet under when now. We came up with the name. We thought about it for like a little bit. Okay. All right. <laughs> anyway. Good night, guys. Or whatever <laughs> word it is. <laughs> what a burnout ending. Good night, everyone. <laughs> I'm in line with the stars. I'm in sync with the earth. Ten toes deep, flower child from the turf. I never switch sides. Like, even when I die, I'm a ride for the squad. Let our ties in the hearse. I've been on a vibe kind of hard to describe. I'm in between. I'm good and it's fine, but I'm tired of the grind. Then I come alive in the night to realize I'm in the middle of the time of my life. I never so packed.